Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast. As usual, this podcast is brought to you by Bravo Zulu Co. Bravo Zulu is a naval-themed clothing company. Uh, Bravo Zulu, the name stems from a slogan that we use in the Navy. When someone does a job well done or completes a task, um, we give them a BZ, which just means a job well done. The clothing company also promotes a positive lifestyle uh, and taking that aspect and mindset and applying it to everyday life, to your civilian job, to your relationship, to your workout, to your schoolwork, just going out every day and doing the best you can and earning that BZ. This podcast is also supported by 22kill.com. Most of you are familiar with the 22 push-up challenge that has spread beyond uh, or throughout social media the past few years. Uh, that challenge is actually actually started by this organization, uh, nonprofit 22kill. You can find them at www.22kill.com. Their mission is to raise awareness to the suicide rate among veterans and first responders, educate the public on PTS and other mental health issues, and focus on suicide prevention through empowerment. 22kill offers a variety of programs and resources for all service members. These programs provide many forms of traditional and non-traditional therapies for both mental and physical health, serving veterans, first responders, and their families. On this episode of the podcast, we have a guest from my hometown in New Jersey. Uh, the gentleman's name is Matt Williams. Matt has served in the National Guard for about 10 years now. Uh, he's had multiple deployments, uh, some overseas, um, and some here uh, here in the United States, for uh, such as uh, during Hurricane Sandy um, and some other hurricanes that, that we've experienced in the Northeast. Um, it was a great podcast. Uh, I enjoyed hearing um, about his deployment overseas in Afghanistan, um, where he was embedded with the Afghan army. And uh, also, I learned a bunch about the National Guard. Um, even though I'm active duty... Uh, you, you still don't hear much about the the, act, the National Guard, and um, you know the general consensus is that they're just a reserve unit. Um, and throughout this podcast, you'll learn that they are much more than that, and they're not necessarily just a regular uh, Army reserves. They are more than that. Um, and in this podcast, he goes into the differences, um, and it was very informative, and I learned a lot. And uh, I'm sure you guys can learn a lot um, through this podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy as usual, and uh, we'll get right into it. All right, so what's good, man? How's uh, how's living in North Carolina? It's good, man. I love it down here. The uh, weather's kind of shoddy right now, but I mean, we're living in a nice house in a nice neighborhood with a big chunk of land. Nice. Can't complain. How, how much land do you got? About two acres right now. Ah, perfect. Yeah, we're looking at a place that's got a bit more. I want somewhere between five to ten. What a um, you live by like Lejeune kind of, right? Cause I remember when I, I really wish I knew that you were that close to Lejeune when I came down there. Um, I was just down there for like that one day. So it was kind of hard to like set something up, but do you, um, do you work like, uh, what do you do down there? Cause you just, you moved down there recently, right? Yeah. I work in the asphalt industry right now. I pave roads. Hmm. Is it like, uh, you do like private, like residential stuff or you do like, like highways and stuff like that? We do kind of a little bit of everything. We do a lot of um, town work, like down in Beaufort, North Carolina. Okay. Um, we paved roadways leading up to bridges. We paved, did a lot of state work down there. And then we do up here is mostly private work. Like I work on base 
Um, okay. We do. I, the last job we we started doing was uh, all the developmental areas where they're putting in whether townhouses or homes, things of that nature, like small um, housing developments. I couldn't believe. Uh, so when I went down there, like a couple weeks ago, um, I I never been to Lejeune or Lejeune, uh, and I, I was not expecting it to be like as big as it was. I was like, oh, it's like a marine base. It's probably just gonna be like some crappy buildings, like a tent. Yeah, <laughs> and like, I couldn't. It's huge. Yeah, there's like two like there's like that big like highway that runs right through the middle, and there's like overpasses. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you have to remember, I think there's like 10 different sections to Lejeune to include, but not limited to, mm-hmm. New River Air Station, right? Camp McGregor, and what's the other one? Cherry Point, which mm-hmm. is like an hour from me in Richlands. Yeah, I couldn't, and everything was like so, well, at least the parts my buddy brought me to, like, everything was like so new, like it seemed like mm-hmm. they like they built a lot of it up like pretty recently. It's been a, it's been an ongoing process, but they have been adding to it. Like the old company I worked for was also a paving company. We did work on Lejeune, and they paved the major highway that goes through the middle of Lejeune. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of it's newer. Um, the PX they just did maybe within like the last ten years they rebuilt the PX. The old one is still open, kind of like an annex type building, but it's still kind of like a PX. It's it's pretty big. It's getting up there, I think. I think Lejeune is the biggest base. I, I think it's actually bigger than Twenty Nine Palms. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it is. I wouldn't. I couldn't believe. Like I was blown away by uh, by how big that place was. And they have like the twenty four hour drive through Nexus or not Nex, but the uh, like the, the mini marts. Uh, yeah, what do they call them? I think it's uh, the MCX. They call them. Yeah, but so we we call them mini Nexus, but I mean whatever the marine version of it is. But yeah, I yeah. couldn't. It was awesome. So yeah. what what we bro- call them? Do- Okay. We call them uh, we call them shopettes. Shopettes, and then the big the big ones like a PX, right? Yeah, we call them PX. And the Air Force calls them BX. Yeah. Um, and what do you call uh, uh, the galleys? You call it like a DFAC, right? Yeah, the DFAC. Yeah, yeah. DFAC, remember, it's just short for dining facility. Yeah, I remember when I went to um, uh, a school in Fort Sam Houston down in San Antonio. Uh, obviously, it's an Army base, <clears throat> but. Yeah, you guys do stuff all different. You do like colors like four times a day and shit. <laughs> well, like, they do colors. What it is is they do before colors. They sound the horn. They some sound the, whatever the fuck they want to call that thing in the morning. The reveille. Mm-hmm. Prior to actually putting the colors up, and then they do something else right before they put the colors down. Oh, there's like cannons going off every time. What the hell? Winter attack. <laughs> some bases do things a little differently. <laughs> But I mean that base is really cool, Fort 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 uh, Fort Sam Houston. That whole area is really cool. That's where I'm trying to go next after the sea tour. I'm gonna go be an instructor down there. Nice. You'll like the instructor. I I I love being an instructor. I really did. Do you, um I know like for us it's like a C school you have to go to and you get like an NEC for it or uh, I believe you guys call it like an MOS. Is the same kind of setup setup for you guys too or? Kind of, we call it a identifier because okay. my MOS doesn't change. So when I was an instructor, um, I was an 11 Bravo 38. So 11 Bravo is infantryman. Nothing fancy about that. The three identifier is just my rank, mm-hmm. and then the eight identifier itself is my instructor identifier, which I still currently hold. Okay, so yeah, okay, so we call those NECs, and like every time we go to like a C school, we just get another NEC. All right, so I guess same same kind of thing. 
So you're <clears throat> so you're National Guard, right? Yes. Um, well, I guess before we get into that, I kind of want to get into. Uh, I like to get into like people's like why and and why they joined and kind of like the uh, life before the military. Um, I mean, obviously, we both grew. You grew up in Long Branch, correct? Yes. Like your whole okay. Because I know, like, our lives are, like, weirdly, like, uh, like we knew each other, but, like, we didn't know each other kind of thing. Because I believe our, our dads worked together, right? Yes, our fathers both worked together for, I think, Local 9. Yeah, yeah, okay. My dad actually... Is your dad still working or is he retired? My father actually recently retired after having double knee replacement surgery. Ah, okay. But I say my dad, re- he retired last, uh, last July, almost a year ago. Okay, so, um, and then I, I actually worked in Local 9 for, like, two years before I joined the Navy. They actually wouldn't accept me. Really? Yeah. Um, first, they didn't accept me because I was too young. Okay. Um, and then I got back from Afghanistan, and they said the same thing. And my father like lost his shit on the guys at the hall. It was like, he, like he's a son, and he's a veteran, and you're not going to hire him. Really? Yeah, that's weird. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I applied one year. I didn't get in. And then the second year I went back, I got in. And then I worked there for two years, and I was like, I hate this. <laughs> Um, but that's when like like the uh, that's when like the economy was like they still didn't really have any like a lot of work so like I was yeah. collecting unemployment like half the time as a first year apprentice so I was like I'm making like no money right now so that's when I decided to join after uh, me and Martina got married yeah all right so um, so did you go to you went to did you play sports when you were younger I like did we play any sports teams together. <laughs> um, I really only played sports my freshman year of high school I played. Football, baseball, and wrestling. So you didn't do any like Pop Warner, or, like any of that stuff no. growing up. Oh, okay. No, I didn't do any of that. All right, because so I, I did all that in Long Branch, and then uh, in fifth grade is when I moved to West Long Branch, and I started going to West Long Branch stuff. All right. So you went to Long Branch High and all that. Yes. Yeah, I graduated from Long Branch High School in two thousand eight. I was the first class to graduate out of the new high school. All right. Did your dad work? I know my dad worked on that. Did your dad work on that? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, my dad, the last couple of years and of me being in high school, anyhow, my dad worked a lot at like Monmouth University, all the projects at Monmouth University. Uh, um, he worked the, a uh, lot in Oswego, up in upstate New York. All the new like dorms and stuff that they built um, at Monmouth. Yeah, the yeah. dormitories. Um, they, they did something else. I can't remember what it was. It was a new addition over by the library. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So we we're actually the exact same age. We graduated the same year. So how long, um, uh, so you just did sports just freshman year or did you do it all through high school? I did it on and off throughout high school. Um, I didn't do anything my junior or senior year. Uh, so really just freshman and sophomore year. I played baseball sophomore year. And then you said, no, 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 I I played a little baseball my senior year as well. And then, um, any, any kind of college after high school? No, I went right. I went right to the military. I enlisted my junior year of high school, um, in what's called the split operations program, where I went to basic training in between junior and senior year over the summer. Oh, really? And I went. I went to basic training down in Fort Benning, Georgia, and then I came back up, finished up my senior year. During that time frame, I would go one weekend a month to uh, Seagirt, New Jersey, where the recruit holding company is, and I would drill there. I would do a PT test every month, and I would go sit through classes and they would teach us different things and then I went back for AIT which is advanced individual training down again down in Fort Benning Georgia and that's where I got my 11 Bravo identifier my MOS 
Is that something that I've never heard that before? Was that were they like hurting for people? That's why they were doing that, or they? I think they've always done it. Um, the time frame when I enlisted was kind of when they were taking anybody. Right. I mean, I went to basic training with guys who were told, you know, you can join the military or you can go to jail. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it was during it was during a bad time during the war in Afghanistan and Iraq in 2009. Uh, well, I graduated in 2000, I enlisted in 2007. So it, during that whole like time frame was when there was a lot of stuff going on. They were hurting for guys, so right. they were giving waivers for almost everything. I say that was right after, because like 2006 is like when the second big push started. Because that's like after yes. like the insurgency kind of came up. All right, so that's that's actually pretty cool. So what was that like coming? So you went, um, and you you enlisted right into the national the National Guard, right? You, yes. Okay. Um, so was that Army boot camp? I'm assuming you went to, or is it yes, its own it separate? Still- it's army basic training um there's a very large misconception when it comes to the national guard uh the the big misconception is that it's the national guard they go on the weekends and they drink beer and they barbecue uh that couldn't be further from the truth uh when we go we go i mean we go full full bore um it's still part of the army that's why my uniform says army on it that's why all my paperwork says u.s army on it right um it's still department of the army it's just a reserve component so we have civilian jobs so I went down to Fort Benning, and during my basic training and AIT, I was with active duty soldiers, guys that were going at, right after the active duty. I had active duty drill sergeants. I, you know, it's, it's all active components. When I go on active duty, I go on Title 10 or 32 orders, right? Which are active duty orders. Right. Okay. So what what was that like coming, um, going to boot camp during like your summer? I'm assuming that's when you went the summer in between junior and senior year. You said right. Yes, that's correct. And then, like, com- uh, coming back to, like, high school. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Realistically, it was kind of weird. Um, one of the big things was my entire outlook and attitude on everything had changed. You know, right. when I joined the Army, I had enlisted and was kind of, like, seeing a lot of my friends were, you know, getting hurt in the streets. Um, a lot of my friends were going to jail. And I kind of saw myself going down that same path. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, that kind of goes into, like, why I enlisted a little bit. There are other reasons, but that was one of the big ones where it was like, I need to make a change. Right. So when I went and I came back, I came back and I had more respect for people. I was a little calmer. Um, and watching these kids just disrespect these teachers kind of threw me for a loop. And I would kind of, like, step in and be like, hey, you guys need to knock it off, like, there is right. no reason for that. There's no reason to act like that. There's no reason for you to be treating somebody else, especially an, an, a, an educator, this way. Right. That's um. Did any like the uh, the teachers like come up to you and like say anything like, hey, like you know, we see a big change or anything like that? Anyone kind of go uh, out of their way? Yeah, actually, a few people, um, like Alvin, Alvin Freeman, he was the principal of mm-hmm. Long Branch High School. He had pulled me aside several times and told me that it was an amazing change that I made over the summer and I, at the time I don't think he had known that I had enlisted he said something to me about it and then later on graduation time when he figured out like hey this kid enlisted uh, he was like you know I'm real proud of you you know I've, I've been your he, he'd been my principal at that point throughout all of the school right because he, he started at the middle school right and then yeah he, he was yeah. a um, one of the principals he wasn't the head principal the way that it worked in Long Branch was you had your academies right um, and throughout school he was my academy principal and then when I went to high school uh, sophomore 
junior and senior year, he was my principal, and then he was the senior year, he was the head principal. And then did um, so you were uh, were you seventeen in between that the uh, that summer? So did your dad yeah, have I, to like uh, like sign anything to let you go? Yes, my parents had to had to sign a waiver, pretty much saying like we are allowing him to make this decision. And the reason why my father didn't have a problem with it was um, my cousin Jimmy Mazza, who had, he passed away, he was killed in a car accident, and he enlisted in the Marine Corps. His parents did not want him to enlist, so they would not sign the paperwork for him. Mm-hmm. Well, they wanted him to go to college, so he went into the semester of college, and then when he got done with that first semester, he turned around, joined the Marine Corps, went to his parents' house, and was like, I joined the Marine Corps, I'm over 18, there's nothing you can do about it. And my father understood that. So my father, when he enlisted, when I signed the paper, he signed the paperwork for me for me to enlist. One of my aunts said something to him, like, well, how could you just sign that paperwork and just, you know, let him do it? And my dad goes, because he'll be 18 next year, he'll do it anyway. Right. So why not allow him to do it now? Right. That's cool. Wait, so, Tony, you said Jimmy Mazza was your cousin? Yes. Like, the Mazza's of, like, Long Branch, like, that owned the Mazza Junkyard? Different Mazas. Oh, okay. I'm gonna say because I'm but, that my grandmother's that Mazza. Yeah, my my family doesn't own. My family was the uh, James Mazza Senior was the Long Branch detective. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. All right. That's those Mazas. All right, gotcha. I was just saying that'd be really weird if we ended up being cousins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you go to boot camp. Um, in between, come back. Uh, You've definitely seen a change in yourself. Some of your teachers seen change. Um, so after graduation, uh, I believe you actually said what happened, but uh, after graduation, you went back to school, right, you said? I went, after graduation, my senior my senior year of high school, I went back to Fort Benning, Georgia, where I went for my advanced individual training, which is my job training to get my MOS. Okay. And you are, you said you were an infantryman? Yes. Okay. All right. So then, so how long was that down there? Uh, So infantry basic training uh, for the job training portion of it is only supposed to be, I believe, four or five weeks. I ended up being there for a full nine weeks. Is that is that like SOI, Saint School of Infantry, or is that something different? The School of Infantry. Yeah. Or am I mixing that up with something else? I think actually, I think that's a Marine thing. I think that's it what they, that what they yeah that that's it, well it's, Fort Benning had always been called the home of the infantry because that's where you go for infantry basic training. What's the what's the other one in Georgia? Fort is it Bragg? Fort Stewart or Fort no, Stewart? Fort Bragg is in North Carolina. Fort Stewart is in North and is in Georgia. And that's where like the Rangers and stuff are, right? Uh, well, they're kind of all over the place, but yeah, mm. for the most part. Okay. Um. So what what did you do after your school? You came back to Long Branch. I came back to Long Branch and I started drilling at Bravo Company, which is the 114th in Freehold, New Jersey. Uh, I was there from 2008 to the beginning of 2009 when a group of us, I came back from Fort Benning and my unit had already deployed. They had already gone to Iraq. So a group of us, there was 14 of us in total, and we deployed to Afghanistan with Georgia. We joined the 48th Infantry Brigade under Bravo Company, and we deployed with them to the Paktika and Paktia provinces in Arsic East. We had several missions that were going on. Um, my unit, the guys that I went to, um, we were on an embedded training team, 
also known as an ETT team, where we trained the Afghan National Army on tactics and how to actually operate a company. So when you said uh, you deployed with Georgia, so you, you kind of like combined with like the Georgia National Guard and, and went over? Is, is that what you meant by that? Yeah, so what right. it is, is it's called, we, we, inter- we volunteered to deploy. We volunteered to go over there. We volunteered, um, and what they had us do was we did a what's called a interstate transfer, where we transferred from New Jersey to Georgia to do that. Okay. And then when we got home, I think all but one of us went home. One guy stayed in Georgia. So with the National Guard, you're, is it – how do I ask this question? Is it broken up by, like, states? Like, you're in, like, the New Jersey – is that how it is? It's not, like, a national thing? Yes, it's not a national thing. It's operated by state. Okay. Uh, when we deploy, we become federal, which is where we go under Title Ten orders. Okay, because um, then you're, you're essentially active duty at that point. Yes. So once they go active duty, it doesn't matter. We're still the same entity. Like, I worked with uh, the 509th, which is the 25th ID, out of Alaska. Okay. Because isn't it, like, when you're – doesn't, like, the governor have, like, control of you or something once you're – when you guys are, like, home or something like that? Isn't that, like, a – isn't that yes, like a thing? For exa- yes. For example, yeah. when Hurricane Sandy hit, hit New Jersey. Uh, they deploy the National Guard, the Air National Guard and the actual National Guard, uh, which are not the same entity. They're two different entities. Mm-hmm. And the governor said, we're in a state of emergency. I want National Guard here, 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 and here. He gets with the higher-ups, colonels, and the editor general, and he, they send us where we need to go. Okay. All right, I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead because I, I know that's like your – that's later on in your career, the Sandy thing. So, yeah. um, right, so we'll, we'll jump back to, uh, to Afghanistan. So – um. So what what part of Afghanistan is that that you deployed to? Uh, Arctic East. Is it like when it says like like north, south, east, west? Like it's it's the eastern side. Okay. And um, so you were in charge of training the new Iraq or not Iraq? I'm sorry, the new Afghanistan army that we were trying to like put in place, right? Well, it wasn't the new army. What it was was it was an existing army that just was not very effective. I mean. I remember when I got over there, they their version of clearing a building was they would have one guy stand outside with an RPG pointed at the door, and <laughs> one guy would go in, and if there was any kind of gunfighting, they would literally just shoot the RPG into the building. <laughs> and we were kind of like, oh, whoa, 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 that's, that's not how you do that. Right? <laughs> so we taught them mount, which is movement under on urban terrain, where they actually go through and clear buildings properly so that if there's anything, any kind of intel in there or if they can capture somebody alive to get intel, we can do those things. Um, other aspects of it were the admin side of it, though, like uh, the S2 shops, um, you know, training, um, how to properly do things. I think one of the biggest struggles that we had was these guys were literally changing sides every other week. You would have guys that would just go AWOL and come back. and you know, They'd be gone for two months. They'd show up one day and be like, hey, guys, what's going on? And we're like, you guys can't do that. Like, right. Because you don't know if they're talk- going and talking to the Taliban or whoever, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things. It's, a, it's kind of a sketchy situation, but the guys that we had were pretty good. They were the It was the uh, second of the 203rd Kandak at the Afghan National Army. So who... Um, who like owned that army? I thought like Afghanistan didn't have like a government. There was just a bunch of like, well, tribes. <laughs> well, there are a bunch of tribes, um, but they also do have a government, and that was one of the reasons why we went in there in the first place. Well, well, we were asked to help them to 
reestablish a government, to reestablish democracy over there. That's one of our was one of our primary reasons for being there, at least at my level. Right. That's why we were there. Um, you know, we were building schools, we were digging wells, we were putting up hospitals, all kinds of stuff, and we were training these guys to help protect and defend these areas of interest. <clears throat> so, did you guys do like? Um like patrols and stuff and then like you you took them with you or were they yes. were they doing everything and you got there's a few of you like embedded with them to make sure that they're doing stuff right yes so when we went out on patrols we were literally integrated with them where we, it would be like two of their trucks one of our trucks two of their trucks one of our trucks gotcha. and we'd go out with them and you know do reconnaissance patrols or presence patrols and kind of like walk over them and get into interaction with local sheiks and things of that nature and that's primarily what we did. Now, was it is it the same thing in Afghanistan as it was in like Iraq with like the like the Sunnis and the was it like Sunnis Kurds? What are like the the three? Um, I tell you, to be honest with you, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, I remember more of the different dialects of of uh, Arabic that they spoke, like uh, Pashto, for example, is one of them. Um, it's set up a little different than Iraq, but very similar in that aspect. Okay. So, do you guys? Um, what base were you at? Were you like stationed out of a base, or were you at, out of like a? Uh, what do you call it? Not a fob. Is it a fob? Well, or... a fob is a forward operating base. Uh, the one that I was originally at, I had three different stations while I was there. Uh, the first one was Fob Boris in Burmel, Afghanistan. Uh, it was a small fob, not very big, and we were there with the Power Knife guys out of Alaska. Um, I remember from there, I lived in a wooden bee hut, which is essentially like a really long shed. Mm-hmm. And there were one, two, three, four, five, seven or eight of us in there. And then we had what was called the vampire house because we were the vampire element. So mm-hmm. all of our call, call signs were vampire. Vampire. Um, the vampire house was a hardened structure that belonged to a special forces unit prior to us taking over. And it had TV, internet, it had a phone. The coolest thing was the phone because you would call home and it would come up as a Washington, D.C. number. <laughs> so uh, was this, were the, they were there before you guys got there or they were, they were there with you? They were there before we got there. Uh, after they left there, the guys went down to Fob Lily, which was south of our location by about 13 clicks. So were you guys in support of them at all, or you were just solely there, just uh, embedded with the... We were solely there, embedded with the Afghan National Army. Uh, We didn't even fall under the 509th guys or work with the 509th guys that were there. Okay. They had a completely separate mission that we did. Gotcha. So did you guys encounter anything um, at all over there? Uh, Yeah, we had rocket attacks, um... I remember my first day actually there. I got off the plane, off the helicopter, and they like walked us around and showed us where everything was. Um, and then we went about our business to unpack a little bit. And I went on radio guard uh, overnight. And I remember I got off radio guard. I stopped at the we had a, a port john that was our bathroom. I used it, and then I went to the bee hut. I was the last bunk on the left before the back door. I remember putting down my laptop, lighting a cigarette, opening the door, saw something fall out of the sky, and then explode, and it threw me back into the bee hut. 
Oh shit. Um, now, I'm 19 years old. This is the first thing I've ever seen like that. I got blown up. Um, I remember being kind of dazed and confused and looking around and I looked to my right where Shim's bunk was and Shim had put up a shelf over top of his bed that he had books on, but he didn't build it really well. He put two nails in the wall <laughs> and then drilled holes using nails, uh, threw it, 550 cord to it, and then put nails in the wall again and tied the 550 cord to it and then just rested the shelf on the two nails that was in the wall. So when that rocket hit, it shook the whole beehive enough that that shell fell and all the books fell right on his head. Um, then I looked up to the other end of the bee hut and I saw a bargeman's head just kind of poking out of the bottom. And he shimp, shimp, shim, Matt's dead, we gotta go. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, wait a minute, am I dead? <laughs> I don't think I'm dead. And I just got up and just hit a straight beeline, but I think I got up too fast because I blacked out. And I blew through the door of the bee hut and I slammed my face into a Hesco barrier. What's that? What's that? Uh, Hesco barrier is like a gigantic sandbag. Oh, okay. And the thing I know is that I'm in and out of consciousness and I'm just looking down at the ground and I see white sock, I see ACU pants, white socks on the gravel and a pair of boots at my waist and Barn was literally dragging me across the gravel barefoot to the vampire house to get me medical treatment. So was it, um, did you get any kind of like shrapnel or anything or was it just like the, the shock wave like from the explosion? It was just a shock wave. I did not have a scratch. Wow. Did you have your flak on at all or no? I had nothing on. I had oh, wow. my ACUs on and that was it. Holy shit. And I no, I don't have much recollection of what happened after I slammed my face. Just that for about five minutes. Um, my medic, Doc Young, said that you know they were sitting on the front porch of the vampire house and they saw the explosion and it, the, the dust just like engulfed the whole area where the bee huts were. And I don't remember who said it, but Doc had said that somebody said, "Oh, well, the general did." <laughs> and then they uh, us just kind of like stumbling out. Um, I couldn't hear for the next couple hours. It was just like rain. And when Doc Young was checking me out, he's like talking to me. And I remember I couldn't couldn't hear anything except this high-pitched wailing sound. And his mouth is moving. And I'm not hearing shit. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying to me right now. <laughs> and, you know, he checked my reflexes, checked my eyes, checked my whole body for blood to make sure, you know, I didn't, and he didn't find anything. I didn't have a scratch. Wow. Um. Was it, I'm assuming it was like a mortar that they shot in? Or RPG? It was a 107 rocket. So, 170, 107mm rocket. And did they follow up at all? Or was it they were just trying to mess with you guys? No, well they, every day for about a week and a half, they shot rockets at the FOB. Not very accurately. Mm-hmm. They would just kind of shoot. There were a couple that went over it. I remember another time where I was on the Port John and we had connexes next to the vampire house. Guys were all up there looking at something. I didn't know what they were looking at. And I heard them talking about something, and then I heard this loud pop sound. I was like, what the fuck was that? So I pushed the door open, and I hear over my head, and they all are jumping off the connex and running into the vampire house. I'm like, oh, I guess I got to go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I finished up as quick as I could, and I ran into the house, but they shot a rocket clean over their heads. 
Uh, and the one guy, Sark Greer, he said that if I, he's like, if I had reached up, I probably could have tried to catch it. Wow. And so that was like a like a daily thing. They would try to just mess mess with you guys and try to attack the fob. Yeah, for about a week and a half. I mean, they wouldn't actually attack it. They would just shoot the rockets and run. Like they would set the rockets up on a timer early in the morning and then leave. Uh, um. And how long were you were you at that fob? Is that where you were the whole uh, time, or? No, no, no. We were there for for quite a while. Um, we left there and went to fob lightning after that which is in Gardez. um we went there and we did security forces there for a while uh before leaving there to go to cop dambatan to build up there so security forces as in your security for the the fob or was it like a like a town that you were kind of it was a fob um we would do like the entry control point and towers um and we would rotate. Yeah, it was eight-hour shifts. You'd go up in the tower for eight hours, and you'd sit there and watch nothing happen. It was very boring, very, very boring. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'd get off work, and we'd go to the gym, and we'd, we'd eat, and we'd have a good time. Um, just as we were leaving, they were building a green bean, I remember. And we were super excited for it. And before it opened, they were like, all right, you guys got to go. You're going to Cop Damatan. You said which a, is, uh, a green bean? Yeah, a green bean. It's a... Um, it's a coffee shop that the military uses in foreign countries. Oh, uh, okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, it's, so I'm assuming that was like a bigger a bigger base then, if they had all that stuff? Yeah, it was a little bit bigger. Uh, still, we didn't have a PX. Um, I didn't have a PX anywhere that I was, to be honest with you. Um, in uh, Bob Boris, we had a Connex that a Afghani ran. And, you know, it was like cheap knockoff. Fucking um, like headphones, things of that nature, like just dumb things. He had like bootleg movies. You could buy cigarettes from him, and that was really all he had. And then we went to uh, Fob Lightning, and we went to Fob Lightning. They didn't have a PX there, so we would have to send guys like anytime. If you ran out of protein powder, you were kind of screwed until somebody was going to a bigger base. Um. It but we had the local bazaar there once a week. They'd come in and they'd set up, and you can go buy. Like I have, a, I'm looking at a rug I bought when I was there in 2009, 2010 time frame. It's sitting in my garage right now. I've had it since then. So the, they let like like the locals come in and sell stuff to you guys. Yeah, so it's you have to go out our main gate mm-hmm. onto the Afghan side, and they get vetted on their way in by the Afghan police and the Afghan National Army. And then they would set up in a closed-off area where there's only one way in, one way out. High Hesco barrier walls with barbed wire on the top. <laughs> so they'd go in, they would set up these booths, and they're not going to do anything because they're trying to make money, and they're making a killing off of us. Right. But that's we would buy our cigarettes there once a week. and so, You'd buy, buy a carton of two lighters for 20 bucks. So you you and the F, you guys had, like, separate bases? You weren't, like, or separate parts of the FOB? You guys, like, weren't, like, living together? No, we were not living together. There was actually a gate in between the two. So on Fob Boris, it was literally just that. It was just a gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was somebody stationed at the gate to let you in and out. And then at Fob Lightning, it was an actual entry control point where you know, there were five or six of us there at a time. You had two guys that were searching personnel that were walking onto the base. You did have Afghan workers that worked on the base. So we would search them. Um, any vehicles that came on the base, we would search the vehicles. Um, 
I remember this one truck we had. I didn't know what it was, what was on it. It was just a truck. Uh, I think it had, like, uh, building supplies on the back of it. We called them jingle trucks because they would literally, like, deck these trucks out. And they would have, like, bells and whistles all over them and all kinds of weird designs and decorations and crap. <laughs> and I get into this one truck, and I'm searching, and I'm looking around. You know, I'm looking in the backseat, looking for weapons, anything that's not allowed. And I turn around, I sit in the driver's seat, and I'm looking around, and I see this big red button. And I look at my buddy, and I'm like, hey, this big red button. He goes, don't push the big red button. I was like, I'm going to push the big red button. He's like, let me get behind something before you push the big red button. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I waited for him to get behind something. I was like, all right, you ready? I'm going to push the big red button. And he goes, okay. And I'm like, all right, let's push this big red button. And I push that button, and I scared the crap out of myself because that horn blew so freaking loud. <laughs> It was a horn. It was was just a regular horn. It was a regular horn. Well, it was an air horn, but (laughs) scared the crap out of me. That's fine. What were you expecting it to be? I don't know. At that point, I didn't really care. I just wanted to see what it did. (laughs) It was the first first truck. Because, you know, the horn's normally on the steering wheel. Right. And this truck had the little horn emblems on the steering wheel, and I guess at some point something happened, and it stopped working, so they jerry-rigged it to be a big red button. So at this point, are they um, the Afghan army? Are we like supplying them? Like, do they have stuff just like us, or are they still like running around no, with AKs? They, they they use AKs. Um, they have old, outdated flak jackets that we used to wear. Like they do wear body armor and Kevlar's and things like that. It's different than ours. Like it's all the old like BBU so, craft that nobody wears anymore. Oh, okay. I mean, is that stuff that we gave to them though, or is it like Soviet shit? I think it's mostly Soviet stuff. Gotcha. And they just had, like, an army, right? They, they don't have, like, an Air Force or anything like Iraq did, right? No, they didn't have an Air Force. Um, they had a police force. They had a the army. Um, and they had the border police, which is their border patrol, which those guys are terrible. They suck at their jobs. Was it on, like, the Iran border or, I mean, like, all around? We were more primarily concerned. I was on the Pakistan side, so that's where we were primarily focused on. Okay. So I was is Afghanistan Afghanistan's on the on the right side of Iran, right? Yes. And Iraq's on the left side. Iraq is south, I believe. Oh, okay. So I always get it mixed. I actually I honestly didn't realize until I started doing this podcast, for some reason I mean I feel like an idiot. I thought like Iraq and Afghanistan were attached. I totally forgot that they were separated by like Iran. Yeah, there's a country in between them. <laughs> yeah. Um so, uh, did you have, um, any of like the guys, uh, I know you said like they would go like AWOL for like two, two months or a month. Did you ever experience like one of them, like, like turning or giving like your positions away or anything like that? Or not that I was aware of. I know when we went from right before we left fob lightning to go to cop Damatan, which is a combat outpost, mm-hmm. um, they actually had a incident with a suicide bomber who was dressed up as Afghan police, all proper credentials, and came on and blew himself up in the doorway of the barracks. Wow. The American barracks? The only... Yeah, the, well, it was just Americans on the, on the base at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, and the only thing that stopped him was we had dogs. Nice. And the dogs were tearing him up, something terrible, apparently, from what I was told. Wow. So did did, yeah. did that knock kill anyone then did he not make, I guess he didn't make it inside the barracks no one got really hurt um, a couple guys got hurt 
a little bit, um, but just scratches for the most part, and nothing was severely life-threatening. Wow. Um. So how much longer were you? How long was that that deployment in total? Do you guys do like six months or? Because I know Maybe like twelve months. Some of the army does like year. Okay, it was a year then. All right, that's intense. Um. So any any other? Uh, did you? Um, encounter any kind of uh, well I guess I, was IEDs like a thing in Afghanistan that early? Or yes that... we had encountered several different IEDs um, okay. <clears throat> one of which I remember I, I told you how our trucks were set up when we went out with the Afghan National Army where it would be like a couple of their trucks, our truck, a couple of their trucks our trucks Right. Um, I was in the first truck and I had a couple guys in front of me and we're driving and I guess the, I think it was the the executive officer from the Afghan National Army was getting all pissed off because the route we were taking. So he, like, drove his truck all the way up into the front of the line, told his guys to follow him or whatever, and he didn't get more than, like, 100 feet, and he hit a pressure plate IED. Wow. And blew that whole truck to smithereens. It oh, killed all the guys that were in the truck. And, you know, over there, they ride, they're, they're four-door Ford Rangers, so they've got four guys in the truck, and they got two or three guys in the back seat and the bed of the truck. Right. And it just blew them all to shit. I say, I'm sure no no kind of armor plating or anything. <laughs> no, regular regular rangers. I mean, we had one of their rangers on Bob Boris. Um, and when I went and saw the guys that were in Oregon E, before I went to Boris, uh, the rangers, they had, like, bullet holes in them. Didn't now, did they, with that IED, did they follow up at all, or is it just one that they kind of set and forget? Uh, there was some small arms fire. I wasn't a part of it because I had brought my truck around to the other side to pull rear security. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know of small arms fire. I heard our guns going off, but I did not hear the actual fire because I was inside the truck. Okay. <clears throat> and you guys, was that a patrol or you were going from fob to fob? That was just a patrol we were on. So when you you said the so f- at fob the fob lightning was the second one that you were at yes mm. yes did you guys experience any kind of mortar attacks or anything like that there kind of like the first your first fob or no uh, no we had two bits of excitement um, one was I was up in a tower and this kid with this like David and Goliath looking slingshot is like yelling at me and they had just put I remember they just up armored this tower. Um, the towers there are typically like the small square connexes just stacked up okay. with sandbags on the inside and plexiglass windows. The one that I was in was a concrete tower that they just put the ballistic glass in. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this kid like screaming at me, I can't hear a word he's saying, my windows are all shut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I cracked the one window and he's yelling at me, I can't say, I have no idea what he's saying, so I'm just like, look, I'm going to shake my head and he starts winding up this David and Goliath looking slingshot and just zips this rock at me and shatters the one window. I mean, it shattered like two panes of glass out of this bulletproof glass. Wow. And I called up and I was like, what should I do? They're like, well, did you shoot him? I was like, was I supposed to? They were like, well, it doesn't really matter, but so, I mean, that, that there was that and then there was this one incident when we were at the ECP and we were getting ready to close up and we were bored. We used to take like small soda cans and we'd throw them in a fire. We had a, a a metal burn barrel type deal. It was a burn barrel. It was a barrel converted into a uh, like a wood burning stove. Mm-hmm. We throw things in there and they pop and we'd be like, "Ooh, fancy!" Well, somebody threw a V8 can in there and we forgot about it. 
and it blew up about 15 minutes later, <laughs> and it sent the cone cap off the top of the exhaust port flying up in the air to the point where, like, a few people came over and questioned what happened because they saw a, and I quote, a flying projectile similar to a rocket. <laughs> and a loud boom. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, whoops. <laughs> All you want us to do, we forgot about it. That was the most exciting thing that happened there, to be honest with you. Now, are you with the, the same guys this whole time when you guys moved from FOB to FOB? Yes, my unit they, my unit stayed pretty much the same. Um, we had additions, and we had lost a couple of guys here and there. Um, but for the most part, it was the same. A chunk of us were the same. Now, what what's the reasoning that they do? Because um, I believe Army are the only ones that do, like, gear deployments. Like, is there a reason that they do that? Not that I know of. Hmm. It's just kind of like one of those things where it's always been like that, so I guess it has never changed it. Because, I mean, I know, I mean, like, ours are normally, like, six to seven, because normally they're six, you always get extended to seven. And then same with the Marines over there. Normally they only do, like, six or seven. Well, what you have to remember is that the Marine Corps is still part of the Navy, so they're going to follow the Naval guidelines. So if the Navy yeah. decides, hey, we're going to start deploying for a year, the Marines are going to start deploying for a year. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if it's more because you like army. You guys kind of go in and like and like control stuff, right? So maybe it's maybe it's like part of like you guys need to like secure the relationships with the locals more, so they don't want to keep changing you guys in and out. Maybe something like that. It, it, it could be. I mean, like I said, it's just one of those things. I'm still at a lower level. I'm only in E6, so they don't really tell me why we do things. They just kind of tell me make this happen and I make it happen. All right. All right. So you leave Fob Lightning. How long into the the deployment is that? Are you like halfway done at this point, or we're about three quarters? We're almost done at this point. Where you've got a few more months before we leave, um, and they decided to bring the whole unit back together before we left. So they took the guys that were at Fob Lightning, and we got relieved by uh, military police from the 82nd Airborne, and we go to Fob Lightning, and um, that's where we stayed the remainder of the time there. And there wasn't a whole lot to Fob Lightning. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a a square had a couple buildings on it um, we did not have showers we did not have working toilets I remember the urinals that we used were four or five inch thick PVC pipes there were three of them that were just kind of dug at an angle into the ground <laughs> and backfilled with gravel the, the the shitters that we used were Big Will made them Big Will was a really really large black man and when I say really large, I mean Big Will was tall. This this dude was tall. Well, he built these things to his specifications. <laughs> so the first time I went to go take a dump there, I sat down and my feet weren't even touching the ground. <laughs> That's I'm funny. like, this is terrible. Like, how who who did this? Yeah, um, he was part of your unit, I'm assuming. Yes, he yeah. was. Uh, he was one of the other guys. There were I think three or four, maybe four Williamses in total. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> So your feet are just dangling? <laughs> My feet are just dangling. And that was around the same time frame where I got introduced to burning shit. <laughs> oh, like when you burn it afterwards, you mean? No, like it, it, first arm came up to me and was like, hey, I need you to do something for me. I was like, sure, first arm, what's going on? I'll do anything you need me to do. He's like, glad you have that attitude. Grab that, that, that fuel can of, uh, of JP-8 over there and meet me by the shitters. I'm like, oh, God, what's happening? <laughs> So you, we just put it on top and lit on fire kind of thing? Yeah, well, you have any idea how hard it is to get JP-8 to catch fire? I found out that day. 
Because that's the, uh, that's, I don't know, JP5's aircraft fuel, right? What's JP8? Diesel. Oh, okay. Oh, duh. That makes sense. That's what my it's, ship, it's that, the, that's what my ship runs the, off of. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the, the red diesel. Yeah. yeah. Fall. Hmm. And any kind of excitement there at that last fob? Um, not while I was there. Like I said, right before I got there was a suicide bomber. Um, while I was there, I did see a monkey jerk off on the back of somebody's head. <laughs> what the? I don't even know there's monkeys in Afghanistan. Yeah, it was one of the A and A guys' pet monkey. What's A and A? Oh, Afghan, Afghan Army. Afghan National okay. Army. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. Afghan National Army. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. He he did it on, on one of the on one of the American guys. Yeah, on one of the Americans. The monkey would used to just like run around and climb up on us and like sit on our shoulders and try to steal our food. And but he was, I can't remember who's who it was. I can't remember the guy's name, but he just climbed up on the back of this dude's head and was like sitting there and he had his front front hands holding his head, and then he took his back right paw and just started jerking off and like humping the back of his head and then just. That's hilarious. <laughs> So I was real happy it didn't happen to me. Um, how how did you feel like that you guys did while you were there? You guys feel like you accomplished your mission? I felt like we did, yeah, for the most part. From what we were doing, I did. I felt like we did some pretty good. And then my buddy, who I became friends with after the fact, was actually part of the unit that replaced us while we were there. So how long is that? Uh, like that turnover time when they when they show up and you leave? A couple weeks. So because you guys had like. You know, hand over all the intel and stuff like that. I'm assuming. Yeah, well, they started sending some of us uh, through the pipeline to go home earlier. Then, like, so the guys would come in, and I think the the bird that took me off that base was bringing guys back. So it was kind of like a one for one swap, mm-hmm. and then certain people would stay back and help them integrate with the area of operations from where we were working. Dude, did you guys fly like Germany? Because I know that's like where a lot of people flew in. Well, first of. we flew, flew around Afghanistan for a bit to a couple different places, um, and then like we went went to Fob, Fob Salerno, Fob Lightning, and I remember, I think it was at, not Fob Lightning. I'm sorry, it was uh, Camp Phoenix. We had these things over there called blood chip belts, and they are just typical riggers belts, but on the back of them, on the inside, they have this piece of paper that's in, like, plastic. To get the paper out, you actually have to cut it out. Mm-hmm. And you pull the paper out, and it essentially says in, like, 12 different languages or something like that, I'm an American, Bring get me to a base, and you will be compensated. Mm-hmm. So they were serialized, so we had to turn them in. Gotcha. Well, they never told us we were turning them in. So none of us had belts. <laughs> so we all go immediately, we turn these things in, and we immediately haul ass to the PX to get a belt. Well, there are no tan belts left. I picked up the last black Rickers belt that was there. And that's the belt I still wear on my uniform today. And no, that is not authorized. Oh, really? So you guys have... See, that's weird. So for us... Um, only uh, chiefs and officers can wear tan. E6 and below have to wear black. Yeah, well, for us, everybody wears tan. There's uh, okay. no. We no, all wear the exact same uniform. The only differences in our uniforms are our ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, CIBs, EIBs, 
if you have them, any any badges that you have, you know, which are just kind of like awards. Um, and then our dress uniforms differ slightly, but our combat uniforms are all the same. Uh, yeah, ours are. So, the only difference, like, well, I mean, we're not wearing the blue camis anymore, which I hate. I just had to drop seven hundred bucks on new on the new uniforms, the new working uniforms. Um, but our uh, actually, I don't know what it is on the new ones. I know on the blue ones, chiefs and officers had gold like name plate. Uh, the threading was gold for like their name and stuff. Ours are just gray, and then officer warfare devices are gold. Ours are silver. Mm. But uh, our new ones are. Have you seen our new ones? The type threes. No, I haven't seen them. They're um. They kind of they're a lot lighter. It, it's still like the digicam, but it's um, it's the uniform that only the CBs used to wear them. But now they're they want us to be uniform with the rest of the branches. So now we we all wear green. <clears throat> but uh, it, we have like the Velcro patches on our sleeves, like you guys. I hate those. Um, but we're only authorized. We can only wear American flag on the right side, and then the Don't Tread on Me flag on the left side. That's all we're authorized to wear. That's kind of cool. I mean, we're not authorized to wear any kind of flag other than the American flag unless we're deployed. Like, I have... Where is it? There it is. So, I have uh, a couple different patches I wore on my left side while I was deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the... It's a just a, I, just, I have the ISAF patch. Um, and then I have the... It's a crossed, crossed flags. It's American flag and the Afghani flag. Oh, that's cool. Wasn't, and then when I was oh, when I'm I was sorry. over there, I actually still have the two 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 zero third embedded uh, the two 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 zero third Candax patch, which is actually what we wore on our left shoulder while we were there, just to try to like help with the cohesion. I must say because th- that's what on your left side is like where you guys like wear like what you are, right? Like those doesn't like airborne wear like the airborne patch, like rain. Oh no, I'm sorry, it was on our it was on our right side underneath oh, okay. the American flag. So we have uh, the way our, our shoulder sleeve insignias work is our left side is our unit. Mm-hmm. And then over top of that would be like an identifier. Like if you were like a, a an MP on duty, you would wear an MP patch there. Infantry, we don't wear anything there. Most people don't. Um, but when we were deployed to Afghanistan, we wore either ISAF or the cross flags. Gotcha. And then the right side is what we call your combat patch, which is if you went to combat, you wear what unit you went to combat with patch, whether it was Big Red 1, whether it was the 48th ID, the... 50th IBCT, the 120th, whatever it was, is what you wore. Okay. And then you guys have the, uh, actually, I think that's on your dress uniforms. Like the wreath with the rifle going through it and stuff. Isn't that like infantry? No, so the wreath, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. The combat infantry badge is a rifle Mm -hmm. with a wreath behind it. That's the first award. Second award is one star. Third award is two stars. Fourth award is three stars. I have never met anybody with more than one star. So, and that's just if you are in combat. Uh, I believe the regulation still reads if you receive and return fire. Right. Okay. Yeah, so we, you cannot you you could not get it for receiving indirect fire. Right. Yeah, you had to like engage. Yeah, that's how the we have the car, the combat action ribbon, and it's a, there's like stipulations to it, like same kind of thing. Yeah, I think your your combat action ribbon has similar requirements to our. If you're not infantry and you take con- take contact of any kind, mm-hmm. um, you can get the cab, the combat action badge, which is essentially that first rocket that I encountered in Afghanistan. I did not get any award for. I got nothing for it. 
had I not been infantry, I would have gotten a cab. And actually, I think guys got cabs for some of the rockets that hit. Oh, wow. But since you're infantry, you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, the only people in the Navy that really have cars are corpsmen, honestly, because we're attached to the Marines normally. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. Like, I had a... <clears throat> when I cross-rated, like... When I was subs, like, my only encounter with corpsmen were, like, the corpsmen at, like, the base clinic who, like, did nothing. So, like, that was, like, my interpretation of, like, a corpsman. And then I went to core school, and all of, like, the chiefs and stuff were all, like, E4s, like, junior corpsmen in the initial push. So, like, every chief had, like, Purple Heart, and, like, some had, like, Navy Crosses. Like, half of them had, like, uh, hearing aids. Like, I was like, holy shit, like. Corpsmen are pretty badass, I guess. <laughs> yeah, docs. I love docs. Um, one of the few MOSs that infantrymen actually love are docs. We love medics because they go through the same shit we go through. Right. Um, you know, we go out to the field. I we used to have docs. They would go with us. Yep. You know, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I am now actually no longer uh, what's called a light infantryman. Mm-hmm. I am mechanized infantry now. Is that like tanks and stuff, or? Yeah, it's I'm on a Bradley, um, which I'm not thrilled about because Bradleys are really small mm-hmm. and uncomfortable and loud and annoying, <laughs> um, and I don't know anything about them. So I mean, I've done I've been in for 11 years. I just signed another six-year contract, um, and the Bradleys I get there and I'm like, well, tell us what you know about Bradleys. I was like, uh, there's a big gun up top. There's tracks underneath of it, and when you piss it off, it shits out infantrymen. <laughs> so what's the difference between a Bradley and a, an Abram? Cause isn't that the, the... It, the size of the cannon. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Abrams are bigger. Uh, they do not... I don't think they carry personnel with them. A Bradley does. Okay. Because that's like our main tank, right, that we use the Abram? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. technically, the, the Bradley is technically not... A tank. The Bradley is technically a APC, a armored personnel carrier, uh, much like the 113, which we do also have. My my first sergeant, his truck is a 113. Um, the Bradley has a swivel turret, so it has a full turret on it that can rotate 360 degrees, and then it has a 20 millimeter machine gun. Oh wow! So h- how does that work? Um... So your first deployment was out of Jersey, right? Or no? Out of Georgia. Okay. I mean, you lived at Jersey at, at that time, though, right? Or no? Yes, I lived I lived in New Jersey. Um, when I volunteered to go and I got accepted, I flew to Camp Shelby, Mississippi, in Hattiesburg, where I did my mobile train-up or mobilization, where I went through training. I had to qualify. I had to take a PT test. I had to take a PP test. I had to... <laughs> Uh, what else did I do? I had to go through like dental, vision, medical. Right, the whole uh, the whole workup. The whole nine yards. It was a pain. Whenever we got down there and they were like, all right, you guys are on lockdown. You're not allowed to leave the base. So naturally, the first thing we did was went down the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I drank more that week or that month than I ever had before in my life. So how does that work now that you, um, that you moved to uh, North Carolina? You just like switch. So, I did a interstate transfer. Okay. Because we were moved, we moved down here. 
I was not driving up to New Jersey anymore to do anything. Um, but what the hell was that? Um, if you want to actually back up a little bit into my career, after I came back from Afghanistan, um, I went back to a regular to, to Brow Company first on 114. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually went to Germany for about a month and a half. Well, I guess we and, did kind of we did kind of skip ahead of that the end of your deployment. <laughs> yeah, because there's still like a bunch of stuff in there, and then another deployment before I moved down here. Okay. All right. So yeah. So so you get back from that first deployment, and and you said you go back to Germany for for something. Yeah. So I I volunteered to go to Germany for my annual training. How the National Guard does one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Okay. Well, we were going to Germany to play war games and get the one seventy third out of Italy, an airborne infantry unit out of Italy. So we went to uh, Hohenzfels, Germany, and we linked up with the 1-4 infantry. And from there, we went out to Grafenbeer, which is a fair, it's like a tank range. And the 173rd guys, they did an airborne jump in Hohenzfels, and then we went to, they came with us to Grafenbeer. And it was really just a lot of mount scenarios, a lot of like woodland patrols, and it was essentially a gigantic uh, laser tag match. Mm. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with but froze our fucking dicks off though. It was so cold. So you you guys fought against the Italians and no no, no. Uh, the one seventy third is uh, United States Army Airborne Infantry. Ah, uh, they're just stationed out of Italy. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. But we helped them with their train up to deploy to Afghanistan. So they're like a forward deployed unit, I guess. Yeah, they're, well, it's just a duty station. It's just like the one foreign infantry guys over in Germany. That's that's where their duty station is. So, like, how um, you're in Virginia right now, right? Yeah. So, how you're stationed in Virginia, mm-hmm. they're stationed in Italy. Same way we have guys that get stationed at the DMZ yeah, over guess, in Korea, you know? Yeah, I guess that makes Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a big Navy hospital in Naples that we can get stationed at. So, I guess, same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that, and I came back from that. Um, that's around the time Hurricane Irene happened, where, as we all know, nothing happened during Hurricane Irene. <laughs> and then I just, you know, did my time contemplating getting out, signed another six-year contract, and then deployed. Well, then well, what made Cheney you? Um, what made you do that? Because you said you were contemplating getting out. What made um, you? Because it was coming up on my time, I was a year out, and I was thinking, you know, I want to get out, but I want to deploy again. I want to do something else. Like, I was kind of bored. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about getting out. I was actually contemplating um, filling out an 18 series packet to go to Special Forces. And they were like, well, you can't do that if you don't re-enlist. So I was like, okay. And they were like, well, I was like, let me think about it a little bit. They were like, listen, you have two months until you get out. Until, until your one-year mark of when you get out. And I was like, okay. So they were like, if you re-enlist now, you'll get a $10,000 signing bonus. If you wait three months, you won't get that bonus. Oh, wow. So I re-enlisted. Um, Hurricane Sandy ended up happening, and I was on state active duty for like five months. So how does, <clears throat> like, how does that work? Because... I remember. I mean, I remember like the National Guard being out, being out there, like during that. So, like, but what? I mean, you guys, like, what do you do exactly? Well, it depends. So there are different missions. 
Uh, you have the search and rescue, rescue missions, which I was not on those. Um, my first mission while I was there was um, we were at Arthur Brisbane in Wall Township, New Jersey. And we didn't know it at the time, but apparently anybody that had to be evacuated who had some sort of mental disorder got sent there. We figured that out pretty quick when we started calling the place Alpha Alpha Looney Bin. <laughs> um, I remember when we were there, there were a couple things that went on, like the somehow the fire alarm ended up going off, and we had to like cut a door open and get down there to shut it off because the door was locked and we couldn't get in. Uh, we had a tree fall across the front of the building. Nothing major, just kind of like dumb stuff like that happened. Um, so when you're like deployed like that, like like in country, like do you have to? Um like stay there and stuff and like sleep on a cot or can you like go home every night? Like how does that work? So at that point, at that point we were not able to leave because we, for one, we didn't have vehicles. All we had was Humvees um, and the storm hadn't actually hit yet. So we were, we were stuck there for a bit and then the storm passed through overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of fucking damage was done right. and <clears throat> they shut down Arthur Brisbane or no, I'm sorry, the, it was us and corrections officers, and then ICE came in, and ICE took over Arthur Brisbane, which so, I thought was weird. That's, ICE is uh, immigration. That's immigration right. services. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that's kind of weird, but they came in, they took over, and then my group of guys, half of us went home, and half of us got sent down to the Barrier Islands in Brick Township and Manilokan. Okay. Yeah, man. And there was a um. They had like a big setup at uh, um, obviously I was I was in Long. I lived in West End at the time, so I was like right there by the ocean. And uh, afterwards, I like drove down Ocean Ave the next day, and like I believe it was like Mammoth Beach. They had like a huge like camp setup. Do, do, mm-hmm. do you know like what that was for? That was a medical relocation. People who were told to leave their homes and didn't, they would bring them there as a staging area prior to sending them elsewhere. Okay. Um, they also had one set up at Monmouth University, which was, originally was where I was going. It was, it was Monmouth University. Right. Yeah, um, I remember, and then I, remember that too. I was there for about five minutes, and they were like, all right, Williams, get in the truck. You're going down to Brick. Like, oh, okay. And I get down there, and I go over that bridge going into the Barrier Island, and you can't see the bottom half of the bridge because everything washed out. That's crazy. That's cool. Now, are you... Are you um, uh, are you like active duty when you get deployed in country also? Or no? Yes. Yeah. Is it, okay. it, it's still active duty. It's a different type of order. It's called Title 32 orders where you don't get BH. Okay. You still get your pay, but it's not. You just get your base pay? It's your base pay. You don't get hazard duty pay. You don't get – well, you should have gotten hazard duty pay for that because, I mean, I was – we were in deep ass water. It was cold and <laughs> – and then we had uh, setups all over the island, and we were stopping looters. And the guys that were there originally, I remember, were the 113th guys from, like, Piscataway, New Jersey. And they, they got relieved because guys were, like, stealing TVs out of, like, houses. Do we have, like, rules of engagement? <laughs> well, we didn't have weapons. Oh, really? Yeah, we had no weapons. Oh, wow. So our rules of engagement were literally just... Watch the person. If you can, can detain them, detain them. If not, you know, there's nothing you can do. Call the police. Is that like, is that, 
is that like a common thing when you're deployed? Like if you're deployed in country weapons, would that be considered like martial law? Is that why they do that? Like not yeah, if martial law was if our, if martial law was implemented, mm -hmm. then we would have weapons. Okay. Um, I thought we should do blue bolts, which is the, you know what sim rounds are. Yeah. Give us sim rounds because you know if I got somebody who's coming at me in a threatening way, you know I use sim rounds or rubber boots on them. I can put them down, not kill them. Right. I mean, I'm surprised we kind of didn't, especially, like, what happened during Katrina in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm surprised, like, they didn't, like, learn from that and kind of allow you guys to have at least something. That's weird. Yeah. But, I mean, I we we were there for a while, and we were there for long enough. Before I became Sergeant of the Guard there, I was on a on Checkpoint 7, mm -hmm. which later became Alpha Alpha Hole in the Sand because my guys that night that were there literally built a bunker because we were out in the wind on the beach. So you kind of protect yourself from the wind and stuff. Yeah, and I had gotten out there, and I was like, it was all it was was like a little hole that they had a fire going in and beach chairs surrounding. It. I was like, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> so we took a um, bunch of broken up parts of houses. Like it, I think what we used for the walls were actually um, parts of a deck. They were like banisters off a deck, mm -hmm. but one solid piece. Like the siding on it matched the siding on the guy's house. And we took that, we dug a big-ass hole in the sand and dropped it in there and used other pieces of wood to make benches and use the sand to form everything together. Um, we had a bunch of, like, windows and stuff that we found that we put on their side so we could actually see out. Uh, we used a garage to run a tarp for a roof, and we found a wood-burning stove, put the back of the wood-burning stove inside of the hut so we could have a fire and keep the inside of the hut warm. Now, um... How does your, like, your uh, your job work with that? Like, when you get activated, I mean, obviously, you don't know when you're going to be activated. <clears throat> There's, like, something in place where, like, your civilian job, like, has to hold your place, right? Yes, it's called the Citizen Soldiers Act. Um, so if I was single and, say, I'm renting a place and I get activated, I don't have to pay any of my bills while I'm, while I'm activated. Really? But the second I get off activation and go back to my civilian life, mm -hmm. I have to pay everything up front right there. So guys tend to just pay their bills while they're away. Um, and no, my, my, my place of business and my place of employment has to continuously hold my job. Now, they can hire somebody as a temporary status to replace me, but they have to hold my job. Is there like a time limit to that? No. No. Well, that's good then. <clears throat> So as soon as you get back from being activated, you just start right back at work. Yeah. Yep. And do you, so do you get paid um, while you're, like, inactive? Like, how exactly does that work? Like, you only get paid for, like, your drill weekends, right? Yes, that's correct. And how do they, like, is that, like, a set rate already? Or, like, is it, like, how many hours you do? Like, how, how exactly does that work? Okay, so it's based off of what's called a muta. Okay. And there are two mutas in a day. So my current rate for two days is two days or three days? Two days? Uh, I forget. It's either two or three days. I get like seven hundred and seventy dollars for about three days. Oh, and you do that once a month, right? This yeah. Is a, oh, so one week. I mean, that, that's good. That's like your more. It's good, but you also have to remember I am a E six with eleven years of service. Oh, okay. So you don't start out that high then. <laughs> no, Lord, no. 
I remember when I was in when I was at the recruit holding company in Seeger before I actually was anything in the army. I was just just went to basic training. Mm-hmm. I was getting like ninety seven dollars for two days. Now, how how did that work while you're in? Uh, I meant I meant to ask you this and I forgot. While you were uh, a senior in high school, did you still have to go drill and stuff? Yes, one week in a month. And then you got paid for that also. Yeah, and it was a whopping ninety seven dollars. Oh wow. Nice. But to a high school senior, ninety-seven dollars for two days' work. Right. I'll make yeah. that last all month. Yeah. All right. And then how? How does your retirement and stuff work? And I know we kind of talked about this, uh, like last week or whatever. But, um, like, is it still like the twenty years? And then, like, it's still the twenty years. It's still based off of the point system. It's not as much, obviously, because we don't pay as much into it. Right. Uh, we actually just switched to a blended retirement system, which kind of sucks because I didn't tell you that if, if you sign up for it, you lose your other retirement. So I recently did that. So right now my retirement is like $3 in total. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I have to like stay yeah. in for a bit, well, bit longer. Um, they were actually uh, recently talking about medically retiring. For, I mean, for, do you mind talking about that now or? I have massive hearing loss um, oh. from being light infantry for as long as I was. I have knee problems, back problems. Just your, your basic, basic. I've been doing this for too long. You should have stopped that for six years. Gotcha. Now the um, the the blend. I, I have till uh, till December to decide if I want to switch that or not. I've been trying to figure that out. Look into it and see if they got all the bugs out of it yet. Mm. If they got all the bugs out of it, yeah, go for it. But if you're going to lose your other retirement. Just don't. Just stay with what you got. Because what the way it was explained to us is right now our um, you retire at twenty years, you get fifty fifty percent of your high three. Um, that's like your pension every month, and then you can touch your TSP once you're fifty nine and a half. Yeah, I would just stay with the TSP and the retirement you have, unless unless they got the bug out of it where. When you sign up for it, you lose your other. See, I wonder if because what what they told us the beat the the blended is is because right now whatever you pay in your TSP that's what you pay in. Mm-hmm. But what they do with the blended for us, I don't know if it's different for for active or whatever, but they'll match up to five percent into your TSP. So if you put in ten percent, they'll match up to five percent. So technically, you'll have fifteen percent going into your TSP. But yeah, it's, it's the same setup. Then your pension, instead of 50% of your high three, you get 40%. But you also get a mid career bonus when you re enlist, like halfway through. Which sometimes, I mean, Corman, we don't get a bonus at all. If I was a, still a submariner, my bonus was 60000 for re enlistment. <laughs> but Corman, we don't get shit. So. For the most part, it's the same with the exception of that mid bonus. Hmm. But and and that's like based. That's not even a, <clears throat> a set rate. That's like based off like needs of the Navy and all this other stuff. And the Navy doesn't need equipment, so I'm sure it's not that high. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta figure that. I like I said, I have still have like six more months to figure it out. But so, um, how did it work? I know we kind of jumped into that earlier. Um, how did it work when you moved from Jersey to North Carolina? Like, is that something you had to, like, do you have to, like, request to do that? Or, you, I mean, you can just do it on your own, and then you just you switch? Have to, you have to go through. So the unit that I was in at the time was the 254th Training Regiment. 
and I was an instructor there. And the way it's supposed to work is I tell them I'm moving, I'm interstate transferring, this is the unit I'm going to, and they're supposed to take care of the rest. Well, it was taking them too long to do it. And I'm talking like three, four months. So I got in contact with the state sergeant major down here, and he kind of like pushed everything through and pushed everything forward. They made me drive back up to New Jersey to take a PT test um, and then clear CIF and everything else, which I could have done most of that down here because I already turned in all my gear. They just hadn't like put it through CIF yet. Right. Um, but it's really just a process that my the higher command has to take care of. There's really not much for me to do except say this is like I found a unit. This is where I'm going, and I don't even have to do that. And so, I got lucky because the infantry units in this state are on the east side of the state where I live. Uh, I have soldiers that drive out from like past Charlotte, which is Charlotte's four and a half five hours away from here. Oh, and they have to do that once a month. Yeah. Oh wow. Now, when when you were an instructor, what did you like? Did you teach during that one weekend a month or not usually if I wasn't there for the course so I would go and spend two weeks teaching we would teach squad designated marksmen which is a teaches people how to shoot at 600 yards and in mm -hmm. um, we would teach infantry advanced leader course um, there were a couple other courses that we taught but it was very rare for us to teach anything other than SDM to be completely honest that's what, mostly what we did and if I was there on the weekend for my drills, I would just kind of help out and, you know, help teach the guys, like, while they were shooting and things of that nature. So you guys shoot and stuff during those weekend drills? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, no. Like, we do a lot of – when I was in the 114th up in Jersey, we did a lot of live fire drills. Like, we did a lot of uh, squad level, team level, platoon level live fires. We did a lot of raids. We did a lot of um, clearings. Like clearing buildings, houses, villages, setting up for short and far ambushes, near ambushes, and um, but we realistically just went to the field and were infantrymen. That's what we did. I mean, and now the unit that I'm in now, they're just getting into squad level live fires and things of that nature, and they are actually. I spoke with the captain who is in S2 in the S2 shop, which is the training shop, and he actually is trying to bring me on full time staff to be the battalion training NCO. Now, is it um, is it easy for um, what was I about to ask? Like, when can you go up for like E seven? So the way that it works is it's based off of a point system, time and grade, time and service. Do you have the appropriate schools? Like, I have to go. To, I'm going in January to advance the advanced leader course. Okay. Um, I have to go do that. And then I have to take, do what's called SSD-3, which is Structured Self-Development Level 3. And then I have to go to the Senior Leader course to become a E7. Technically, I'm eligible for E7, but without those courses, I cannot get promoted. Gotcha. And then what would you... Um, would you be put into like a different role once you make E7? Yes. I would become, at that point, a Bradley Commander. Um, right now, the way that the structure in my unit works is kind of weird, and I'm not used to it. Like I said, I was a light infantryman, so I'm used to like my platoon sergeant being the platoon sergeant who's in charge, lieutenant's in charge, that's it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the squad leaders. This setup is a little different because it's a smaller element. So in each platoon, there are two elements. You have your 
Bradley Cruz, and then you have your dismounts. I'm in charge of the dismounts in my platoon. So I go to the field with all the dismounts, and all the crews go somewhere else. They go to the Bradleys. So my platoon sergeant is no longer in charge. My lieutenant is no longer in charge. That's where I step up, and I'm the dismount platoon sergeant. And I have to run. I have three squads under my command, and we go from there. That, that's right now? That's right now. Okay. So my role then would change, and I would go to the Bradleys. And the guy who is in the Bradley, who's in the platoon sergeant position now would go take over my position because he's not an E7. He's not willing to be promoted. Gotcha. Okay. Is that, um, I mean, I know you said you're going to school, so that's something that you're actively going to try to do. Just like go to all the rest of those schools. Yeah, I want to try to get to the highest rank I can before I get out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I have six years before I get out, but they're trying to medically retire me. They're we're talking about trying to medically retire me. So if I can make it to 15 years of service before they medically retire me, I will retire with 100% of my pension, okay. and, ben- and I would I'll keep all my benefits. If I get medically retired before then, I'll keep all my benefits, but I will not get a 100% of my pension. So is it pretty easy for you to go um, – do a lot of guys, like, go active duty from the National Guard, or is it, is it not parallel? Like, it's parallel. Army? No, it's, it's parallel. I go – usually what they'll do is they may drop your rank depending on how long you've had it. Mm-hmm. Like, if I went right now, I'd keep my rank. But if I went, say, two years ago, three years ago, I'd probably lose it. And go back to E5 for about six months, and then probably get it back. Gotcha. Have, have, has that ever crossed your mind at all? Uh, yes, actually, the time frame Hurricane Sandy was happen, happening, I was thinking about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had just gotten my E5. I was kind of not willing to give it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like in the uh, in the Navy, like E5 is like your first like. Uh... Um, like leadership, like rank, like when you actually start, like feel like you're actually doing something. Is it is it like the same thing in the army? Yes and no, depending on your skill set. So, an E5 is typically a team leader mm-hmm. in the army, in our platoon structure. Um, I was four team leader, and then I was an E5 squad leader, and typically your squad leader is E6. Gotcha. Um, and then I got my E6 on my last deployment in 2000. 15, January of 2015 is when I became an E6. Yeah, I know, like, in the uh, the Marines, like, E4 is, like, pretty, um, it's, like, a big deal, which, like, it's really not at all in the Navy. <clears throat> like, I've seen, like, E4 Marines, like, have, like, lower-ranking Marines at, like, parade rest and stuff. Well, yeah, that's, that's that happens in the, in the Army, too, because uh, technically, technically, anybody who is who holds a higher rank than you, you're supposed to stand a parade rest for. Right. Now, the Army, we have, as E4s, we have these things called specialists, where it's not supposed to be a combat rank. Like, if you're a specialist in a leadership role, you're supposed to be a corporal in the infantry, like in, in a combat MOS. Something got screwed somewhere and doesn't work like that anymore. Um, well, you guys so like E5 really, is, I'm sorry. E5 is, like, your really first non-commissioned officer role. I must say, because you guys, like, really, like, embrace, like, that NCO thing, right? Like, just yes. like the Marines, yeah, see, like, it's not... It's weird in the Navy. We really, uh, it's just a different beast, I guess. 
not even it's just we really don't care about like nco even though we are like it's not like a because you guys have like the nco school and stuff you have to go to right yeah they're called nco nco yes academies um before you can become an nco you have to go through wait bear with me here because the names have changed so many times since i've been in i think they call it blc now mm-hmm. which is battle leader course or something like that it used to be the warrior leader course wlc and before that it was pldc um and that's to get that rank, and then become an E6. Technically, you're supposed to have ALC, which is Advanced Leader Course, um, and then you need Senior Leader Course to get seven, Master Leader Course to get eight. Then you have to go to the First Sergeant's Course to get your Diamond, and then you have to go to Sergeant Major's Academy to become a Sergeant Major. Oh wow! See, yeah. so I, I just—it's like my my one thing with the Navy. I just like—I hate how like we make rank and stuff. It's just. Uh, it's just a retarded system compared to like what everyone else uses like we like take a test and then like you have like really good like sailors who just aren't good at taking tests and then you have like a shitty person who's like good at taking tests like they'll just make rank every time because yeah so for us are it's like i said it's based off of like time and service time and grade things of that nature and then you have your evaluation reports right it's based off of that so off your evaluation report you get points so the more points you have the better right yeah but you have guys like me who I have a total of like six college credits. So I have almost no points for college. I had a guy get promoted over me a couple years back when I got my five. He got promoted before I did because he had college points. I shot better than him. My PT was better than him. Everything was, you know, good. And I had more awards. I maxed out on awards. I was maxed out on awards after my first deployment. Um, but because he had college courses, he ended up having more points than me. Yeah, I yeah, I hate that. It's the same thing. And same you know what his college his college credits were in like what was it? It was uh what's, what's that called? It was in like retail sales or something like that. <laughs> yeah, same same kind of stuff happens. I guess it's just every branch. Yeah, it gets enough. I had a a guy at my last command. I'll never um I like never stop telling this story, but uh. He was an E4, and he got, like, higher tenured out. Um, I think at this point he wanted to get out, <clears throat> but, like, the, the command did, like, nothing. Like, we could have capped him. Like, there's a lot of stuff that, like, they could have done. Dude had, like, two NAMs with Valor from Afghanistan. Like, saw, like, nothing but combat. Like, just badass dude. Um, but we have, like, like, other corpsmen who, like, don't have any warfare advice, have been nothing have bounced from, like, clinic to clinic, and, like, like the my last command would, like, bend over backwards for them, but, like, did nothing for, like, this freaking war hero. But, but same kind of thing. It's because, like, they all went to, like, college and stuff, you know. It's, it's weird. Navy's, like, very weird when it comes to stuff like that. Especially, like, in the medical. Because Corman is actually, we're not, um, we're kind of like the Marines. Like, we're our own, like, we're the medical corps. It's, we're not, like, at, uh, we're not like rates of the Navy. We're like our own little thing. It's kind of weird how it's set up. Yeah, I know, I know how it works. I've had many friends that were calling it. Yeah, but eh, it is what it is, I guess. A lot of people get paid way more than us making those decisions. Oh yeah, I know <laughs> how that is too. <laughs> but I actually, I actually start college uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's my first day doing uh, go. online using using TA. But, all right, so 
Uh, so what's the next step for you? Just pretty much banging out those schools to try to make rank? Do you see any kind of... Uh, I mean, I know things are slowing down overseas. Is there any, like, deployment opportunities, anything like that? Um, I'm actually supposed to be going on another deployment in 2020. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we'll be doing. The, you know, the rumor mill has already started. Right. But nobody's really confirming anything or denying anything because nobody knows. Anything could happen. Right. For all we know, you know... Somebody can start shit in Amsterdam, and next thing you know, we're going and getting drunk in Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't complain, but we could literally go anywhere. Um, there were talks about going to Qatar, which is where my last deployment was, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't really mind that too much. It was all right. It was just long, boring deployment. Nothing exciting happened. Um, we were allowed to have three beers a day. That was exciting. Oh, wow. Um, that's about it. Um, there was also talks about us going to Bahrain. There were talks about us going to uh, Syria. There were talks about us going to Iraq. Yeah, I mean, even so um, like, even on like the active duty side, like a lot of my buddies that are uh, attached with Marines, like their deployments now are just like like my one buddy just went to like Kuwait and hung out there for like six months and just like waited for yeah. something to happen and then. Uh, Japan's like another big place now they go to like no one's really deploying like any any combat zones anymore well the I just read an article in the Army Times where they're talking about um, the National Guard going on rapid deployments now so I don't know they really didn't get too involved in what that meant I know they're training or changing our training schedule to have more time training during the year Mm -hmm. and one of the big things that they're doing is they're tra- transitioning units um, to be with active duty units, to train with active duty units. An example of that would be my old unit um, out of Georgia, the guys I went to Afghanistan with, they no longer wear their patch. They wear third ID. And when they go train, they go train with third ID. And so same thing happened up in What do you mean Vermont. by they don't wear their patch anymore? So they don't wear the, their old patch was like an upside down tombstone with three stripes and a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, their new patch is the they wear the fourth ID patch, which is it looks like a fuzzy TV screen. But that's like the active duty. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That's their their active duty counterpart. Gotcha. Hmm. So do you guys have like a? Because you know, like act, like active duty, like every you guys have like a there's like a deployment cycle. Do you guys yes. have that too, or is yes. it just whenever you get a call, it's or it's cycle, it's it, cycle. Um, my last unit and this unit both are on. Well, not my last unit, but um, the one fourteenth and the one twentieth one with now, uh, they are on, I believe, five year cycles. So every five years they deploy. Okay, so it's just if your if your division or platoon or whatever is in that that time frame of the cycle that you're deployable, if the call comes in, then it's it's that. Those no, it's, it's not It's not if the call comes in. So a prime example would be uh, my last deployment to Qatar. Uh, mm-hmm. When we went there, we replaced 4th ID, which they're out of Colorado. Uh, we replaced a battalion. And then when we left, another battalion replaced us. And then another National Guard unit replaced them. And then I have no idea who went after that or who's there now. And then that unit, my old unit, is actually gearing up to go back over there in 2020. 
Oh wow, that's crazy how how far out they like they um, kind of set you guys up for. Yeah, they plan everything out way in advance. It's the same thing like Active Duty, they plan everything out way in advance. The similarities outweigh the differences. Um, like I had said to you the other day or last week when we were talking, uh, one of the benefits that you have of being in the National Guard is you get multiple pensions. So I can do 20 years in the Guard, 20 years of the job, retire, and have two different incomes coming in. Right, at the same uh, time. Yes. Uh, another <clears throat> benefit is just the supplementary income. You know, I make an extra 700 bucks a month doing this. Right. And I mean, that's so on be, top of what I'm... That's a big chunk. Top, that's like your mortgage. <laughs> that, yeah, that could be a mortgage. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we deploy and we tend to live a little bit better. And it's not because we're better funded. It's that we're better at doing different things. Like me, I have a degree in automotive technology from the University Technical Institute. So I can work on a wide array of things from electrical to, you know, our fathers were both pipe fitters, so I can do pipe fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, I can work on work with refrigeration systems. We have guys who are HVAC technicians who can fix and build, essentially, between you take me and an HVAC guy, we can build a air conditioning system. So we tend to live better because of those aspects. Right. You guys bring um, like your civilian jobs to the... Y- the military. Yeah, so we, we bring a little bit more to the table than these active duty guys who are just like, all right, well, you know, if I was an active duty infantryman for 11 years, I'm just going to be a miserable, bas- miserable bastard all the time who that's hates my do. job. And, yeah, it's all I do. It's all I know. Right. Versus, you know, you have a guy like me who goes out there, and I've had such a different array of jobs that, you know, we would build things. We would, you know, we built up OPs and we just tend to live a little bit better because of the abilities that we have on the civilian side. I mean, so is your funding, does your funding come from the army or from the state or does it depend if you're, if you're activated or not? It depends on if we're activated or not. So if we are activated, our funding comes federally. Okay. If we are state side, it's state funded. Makes sense. Now with that being said, you know, we still, our pay still comes from the treasury um, we still have to abide by DOD standards. You know, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. It's all the same. I mean, my PT tests, my PT tests are the same. My grooming standards are the same. Um, I actually did just recently find out that as long as with the new Army regulations on the grooming standard, mm-hmm. I can claim um, Norse pagan religion uh, and like get the, approval. The Thor thing, right? Yeah, I can get approval yeah. <laughs> to have a beard. Yeah. That's what I, th- I think I was talking to you about that, and then um, last week that conver- uh, I'm in school right now, and that conversation actually came up um, about that also. That's hilarious. So I am putting in the paperwork that needs to be put in, figuring out what I got to do to get that okay to have a beard full time. <laughs> That's so crazy. So do you um, do you have to uphold those standards like 365, or just when you go on those drill weekends? Well, realistically, your PT standard, that's that's something you have to do all the time. You can't well, just yeah. <laughs> not work out and then go take a PT test. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like, having a beard or, like, long hair? Or... I, I don't have long hair because I can't stand long hair. I have had the same haircut for 11 years. So, like, right now I have a high fade, and my high fade looks great, and I also have a beard. Right. But once I go, you know, I have to shave. I can have a mustache about it. Right. Yeah. And it has to be can't see the corner of my lips, has to be off my lip. Yeah, it's all the same yeah, same things. But now you're gonna grow a beard. If <laughs> I get approval. Only if I get approval. That's crazy to me, man. How like ah. 
I feel like the military is conforming too much. Well, they had to. They had been sued so many times by the Sikhs, Sikhs, whatever the fuck you want to call them, yeah, because they want to they want to adhere to their religion, but they also want to serve in the army. Cool. Yeah. Um, my whole thing is if I I got to do it, why aren't why are you not like like why? Yeah. Well, they had gotten sued so many times by this one group of people because it is part of their religion having of having facial hair. Right. So they allowed it to a standard. So now these people are allowed to have it. But they also can't say, hey, you can do this, but you can't do that. Right. I mean, like so the we're whole... getting to... I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're, we're getting to the point now where I think the they're just going to open it up military-wide where, you know, two standard. You have you can have a beard, but it has to be two standard. Which it, it can only be two inches long at the base of your chin. Right. And it what? has to be kept groomed. Is when you're deployed, does that change? Do you have to shave no matter what when you're deployed? Mm, because I mean, the, the whole the whole thing with why you have to have a clean shave is for like mop gear. Like, yes. So you have a good seal. Yes. Like I mean, if I was religious, like I guess I would like love my religion and all, but I'm you know I, I love my life a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So uh, technically, yes, we're supposed to be clean shaven at all times, even when deployed. Now there were certain places where we were at, like when I was at Cop Dambatan in Afghanistan. Um, no, we shaved maybe twice a week. Yeah. Because it was so hard for us to get resupplied. Right. And we had no running water. Um, when I was in Bermel, you know, I'd shave every day. Once a week, we cut our, we would cut our own hair. Um, because we didn't have access to water. Mm-hmm. Um, or there was a barber, but they couldn't cut hair or something. I forget why. But we would just get together and as, you know, a, an element, we would cut our own hair. There were only 17 guys in that unit, so we would cut our own hair. And I remember we'd have the stations where it'd be like, one guy would cut it, one guy would fade it, and one guy would shave it. <laughs> a little, like, uh, assembly line? Yeah, it was a little assembly line for haircuts. <clears throat> yeah, because I, I remember when, uh, when I was on the sub, like, when we were underway, we would, like, we would do, like, no-shave chits for charity. Like you could like you could like buy a no shave chip for five bucks for like the underway. It's like you didn't have to shave at all, but I still shave because like God, we have a fucking fire or something like, you know. Yeah, and you gotta put your <laughs> shit on and yeah, no, fuck that. Um, well, for us, I mean, we didn't have to worry about a lot of that stuff, especially being, you know, Afghanistan. There wasn't there were no chemical attacks or anything like that. True. Yeah, I guess that was more like Iraq was worried about. I mean, that, it didn't even happen, right? It was just more of a. More of a threat. Never, yeah, never yeah. actually happened. It was just a threat. Yeah. That's all. Now, do we? Um, I know. Do you know who Jocko Willink is by any chance? Mm, off the top of my head, no. No. All right. Well, he was a. Uh, um, he was like a. Uh, he was the SEAL team commander in Ramadi. Um, but he became famous because he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and then okay. like Joe Rogan like forced him to start his own podcast and now he's like a he like he's like wrote like two books like he's pretty like internet famous i guess you could say um but i mean still a badass dude like i said he was a seal he was a enlisted seal for 10 years and then he went became an officer and then he was uh like i said the seal team commander in in the initial push in ramadi but he um he always talks about uh uh, what is i forget the name of the unit but they fought alongside um, National Guard. It was like the, uh, I think the guard that the uh, that they were attached. They were actually attached to the SEALs. It was like the uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, like reserve unit 
and they were the ones okay. when they um, were taking over Ramadi when they would like seize parts of the city this reserve unit would go in and like build like build like the barricades and the sandbags and everything and like he talks yeah, so like, like super highly uh, super, our engineer super highly. units are the equivalent to the CBs right um, I like CBs more personally <laughs> but well, why is that they're more down to earth, not giving a fuck guys, where you have like the engineers who are all like the army engineers who are all like high and mighty on themselves. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, for a while the Navy almost got rid of the CBs. Like this was like recently. Like we uh their advancement rate was zero percent for a while. Um and then they're they started getting rid of a lot of them, like uh making them like cross rate or get out. Um but I think now they because that started happening like when I came in in 2012. Um, but I think it was more of like the war was winding down. They didn't need them kind of thing. Um, but it, I mean, now it seems like they're starting to ramp back up and like I, um, like their advancements going up and stuff. But I thought that was because my stepfather was a CB. Yeah, um, I, my neighbor, uh, my parents' neighbor, he was a CB. And I mean, they the things that those guys can do, I loved them. Yeah. That's a, cause I mean they 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 learn combat and all that, but then they also build shit while they're shooting people. <laughs> I guess it's, it's the same cool thing as the engineers. It's pretty cool. But yeah, the uh, but pretty much like uh, every podcast and stuff, and, and even in one of his books, uh, he he like speaks super super highly of like the National Guard. And it's pretty cool, like hearing that come from a Navy SEAL. You know what I mean? But yeah, well, there's also a lot of things people don't realize, like um. When I was in the 114th up in New Jersey, they were our patch originally was a rainbow. Uh, it was a three-stripe rainbow. When I was in, it was a half a rainbow, mm. and I always wondered why. So I looked into it. What people don't understand is that every major war the United States has had, the National Guard's been there. Oh, World yeah. War One, World War Two, Vietnam. It's every, they've always been there. I think no, I'm sorry. I don't think they were in the Korean War. I don't think. But like for example, that half a rainbow. They lost half the half the brigade, I think, storming the beaches of Normandy. So what the guys that were in country did was they cut that patch in half, in honor of them. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. And a lot of people just think, like I said earlier, you know, they just think the National Guard is one week in a month. I'm going to go barbecue and drink beer with these guys. Like, okay, when we get off, we might. Like, my next drill is a home station drill, which means we're going to stay at our armory, and we're going to take a PT test, and we're going to stay there. I'm going to come home because I live 20 minutes from my armory. Right. A couple of my soldiers are probably going to come with me, and yes, we're probably going to barbecue and have some beers. But we're going to be off duty. So with that being said, it doesn't happen every weekend. It'll happen once in a blue moon. Like occasionally you might barbecue. When I was at Freehold, we never did it. You know, we would have we would grab beers, we'd go out and grab beers at the bar across the street, or you know, bring a couple back to the armory and sit down and hang out. But it's not how people think it was. And it hasn't been like that for a long time. I'm uh, I'm trying to pull up what this reserve unit is because now it's really bothering me that I can't think about it. I know it was like a uh, an armored division, I think, they were a part of. It's really bothering me now. I'm on like the Ramadi Wikipedia page and it lists all the divisions. What doesn't say which ones are National Guard. God damn it, this is really gonna bother me now. 
Yeah, I recommend you. Um, like I said, he has a podcast that's really good. Um, his podcast that when he's on the Joe Rogan podcast is really good too. But I actually just had a buddy of mine the other day was talking. To, he doesn't listen to the radio. He listens to podcasts. That's all I listen to. I, I couldn't tell you last time I listened to radio in my car. Well, he's like, I'm really into this one. It's a newer one. He, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, well, what's it about? He goes, oh, it's his guy. He's in the Navy. And I'm like, you talking about the Midwatch? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I know that guy. No way. <laughs> and he was like, really? He's like, you really know that guy? And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, he's, he's married to like my childhood best friend. Well, tell him that you're going to be on the next one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, if you search like Navy, like there's no other like Navy, like podcast at all like on iTunes. So if you just search Navy, like it pops up, which is pretty cool. That's cool, man. Well, that, that makes me that makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, well, that and I actually know the name of your podcast. Ah, yeah, true. But dude, um, can you kind of tell like what that name came from? Do, do you guys have like a similar thing in the army or no? Um, no, not that I'm aware of. And so, I used to know. I used to know where the podcast came from. I would not the podcast, where the Midwatch came from, because my grandfather was in the Navy. So the, the, the Midwatch is just because um, obviously we stand like twenty four hour duty, uh, like on like the like on the core deck of the ship or pretty much anywhere we are. You stand. There's always a duty section on on watch, and there's always a watch standard twenty four hours a day. So the Midwatch is normally the balls to four watch, where like there's nothing going on. So it's where you just pretty much bullshit and talk about anything. Um, okay. every, everyone always wants like the midwatch because it's like it's where like all the fun happens because no one's up. It's not like like the watch after that's like the five to nine watch, and that's when like everyone's showing up for work and stuff. So like the balls to four watch or the midwatch is like where you just kind of fuck around the whole time because there's literally absolutely nothing going on. So that's kind of so, where the name of the podcast. It's like I want to have people on here and just kind of talk about anything about whatever. So it kind of fit. <laughs> that's pretty cool um, we don't have something like that we have what's called stand to um, which dates back to the uh, the revolutionary war and what stand to is stand to is same thing it's that fucking balls watch where you know sun started to come up and shit started to get real hard to see mm-hmm. so what they would do is instead of having one guy pulling security they would have two guys at each post which is where stand to two guys standing came from gotcha so you had someone to talk to yeah, or keep it's not awake. just somebody to talk to. It's <laughs> it's four eyes open too, and because if you go out during that time frame when the sun starts just just about to start coming up, you know, right before that, it starts to get really hard to see because that's when any kind of fog sets in. Um, that's really when you have to focus. We don't really worry about that too much anymore because we have nods, we have night vision goggles now, right? So and thermals and all kinds of other gadgets and gizmos. But do you, do you guys still do that though? You still have the two two washanders, even though you have all that stuff now. No, because wow. typically everybody's awake at that time. Ah, oh, sure, that makes sense. So like when we go to drill weekend, we'll go out. We'll uh, we'll go out to the woods out at Fort Bragg, and we will actually set up a base of operations. Um, and we will pull security and we'll be set up in a tactical environment, and we'll have more than two guys up. At a time, we'll have actually, uh, when we're pulling security at night, we'll have two guys on each flank awake, and then an NCO in the middle roving. And so, I mean, technically, yeah, we still do it. It's still two guys, but it's not just doing that one time frame. It's the whole time. And then we usually, I usually get everybody up at around 4, 4.30. When you were, uh, 
station up here. Did you guys go train at like Fort Dix at all? Like on any of the ranges and stuff down there? All the time. Okay. okay. All the time. Yeah. Um, and actually, when I was an instructor, we taught out at Fort Dix all the time. Got it. Yeah. It's, my mom lives like right down there, like right yeah. in Browns Mills is the town. And also another thing with it too is when I was an instructor and we worked, we worked out of Seaverd, but we trained out at Fort Dix. Um, we did not just train National Guard soldiers. We trained active duty soldiers as well. Oh, okay. I, that... I got a coin. I have a coin from the 82nd Battalion Sergeant Major and Colonel. Do you collect coins? I don't because I was never actually given a coin. Oh, okay. So... And that was my first. I was already in E6 with 10 years of service when I got my first coin. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll send you, I'll send you a coin then. I'll send you one of my trips yeah. coins. I'm, like, super Sweet. highly, highly addicted. I have, like, 86 coins. Jesus. <laughs> I'm, like, super addicted to them. Um, well, see, like, with us, we don't, ours aren't, like, you don't buy coins. Right. You're given a coin. Right. Well, I, so I, I got a buddy who's got a coin from the fucking president. I'm going to say, so it, it's kind of the same thing with, uh, like, so, I mean, I was probably given, like, probably close to, like, 20 coins for, like, doing good shit or whatever. But what a lot of us do also is um, we'll buy, like, five or ten of, like, our personal command coins. And then, like, you'll go, like, trade them for, like, other command coins. So there's, there, there's like, two types of coins. There's, like, personal coins. Like, the CEO of, like, your ship has, like, his own coin. And then you have, like, the ship's coin. So th there's, like, two. Like, the command coins are more, like, like Pokemon cards. Like, you trade them and stuff like that. And then, like, the... <laughs> Like the personal coins are like ones that like you get for like when you do good stuff or yeah okay sometimes. so coins in the army are completely different I mean <laughs> just completely different uh, the way that it works you, you do something you get coined cool you go to a bar guy pulls a coin out slaps it on the table you pull pull yours out slap it on the table right. whoever has the higher coin right has to buy or the, the, the lower coin or lower whoever yeah. has the lower coin buys the round yeah and, and it's more that's that's an old infantry tradition. You guys are big with like patches too, though, right? Like, aren't like patches like a? Some guys are. I have. I the only patches I have are patches that I've worn. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it have been like, for example, I have a, the Fort Benning patch, the Follow Me patch. I have one of those. I've never worn it. I was never part of that, but I have two of them. Um, I have a big red one patch from. I I ran a mission with them and they gave me a patch. Um, I have two different. Patches from when I was in New Jersey. I have the half a rainbow, and then I have what I call Wonder Woman's panties. <laughs> it's a shield that's three different colors with three stars. It means something. I don't remember what the hell it means um, because I hated it. And it literally looks like like a pair of panties like Wonder Woman would wear. That's funny. That's, funny. Um, that's, that's how uh, naval aviation they um, they use like patches more than like coins. That's like their thing. They do they do patches not coins. I know a lot of guys that collect patches. Um, I have a very large array of patches because I've been around for so long that, you know, I've got, just in my garage alone, I'm looking around, I've got the 48th Brigade patch out of Georgia, which are the guys I went to Afghanistan with. Mm -hmm. I've got the training regiment patches. I've got, like I said, the Follow Me patch, the original 42nd ID patch, uh, Big Red 1. In my truck, I've got an 82nd patch, and i got a 509th patch. Um, and then I have tabs. Like, uh, the, the tabs don't mean anything. When we were in Afghanistan, the guys from Georgia called us the Jersey Misfits. <laughs> so we had misfit badges made up, tabs made up. That's cool. So that's and, why I like them. Uh, so it's kind of like a timeline for you to, like, you know, kind of, it's like a timeline of your career, which is, that's pretty cool. 
it kind of yeah, everywhere, everything, everywhere you've been. I've got memories attached to everything. Um, another set of patches that I have are, they're not military patches. It just says Monster 6 and Monster 8 when it's got pictures of monsters. I don't think the monster logo. Mm-hmm. That's a square patch. It's black and it's got the green monster logo. Then it has a green tab over the top of it that says Monster with 6 and 8 on it. And that was a buddy of mine and I were having a competition to see who could chug the most monsters. <laughs> I lost. <laughs> I yeah. I drank six before I felt like I was going to throw up. He drank eight. Holy so shit. we had patches made up. Uh, he ended up getting killed overseas, so I actually have both of the patches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, like, my, my first specialist rank. I got all kinds of dumb stuff. And it's not... As long as it's really sentimental value, it's just kind of like, hey, like, this, this reminds me of this right, type yeah. deal. And that's cool. And it means something. Someone yeah. else who walks in your garage, it's just patches. But to you, it's, like you said, you have memories tied to all of them, which is cool. That's, that's Yeah, I mean. I, I like that. And then, like, when we moved down here, I found a bunch of, wow, that really just started raining out of nowhere. Um, I've got, I literally, if you walk in my garage, it looks like the army threw up in here. <laughs> it really does. I've got three foot lockers full of gear. I have a truck box, like for the bed of my truck, mm-hmm. that is full of gear. I've got vests. I've got rucksacks. I got all kinds of army stuff all over the place. That's cool. And the guys just come in and they're like, "Wow, you have a lot of equipment. How how many pages is your clothing record?" I was like, zero. <laughs> well, maybe um, I think uh, after I do instructor duty, I. Uh... I think I'm gonna to try to do the marine thing. So we'll we'll probably be out there in a few years, which will be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean we're not going anywhere. We're staying here. Um, I did not want to move here. Um, I want to move out west a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my wife wants to move here, so we compromised and we moved here. Well, I hear it's pretty good living and it's fairly like cost of living's pretty low, right? Yeah, it's not terrible. I mean, we rent the house that we live in. Oh, okay. Um, it's a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath. It's over 1,400 square feet, uh, sitting on, like I said, two acres of property with a garage, and we pay 9.75 a month, and my lawn care is included. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So in comparison to, like, my older sister, Kelly, who rents a one-bedroom apartment that's, like, 700 square feet, she pays 9.65 a month. Yeah. Well, that's like... um. I mean, even in Georgia, like, uh, like my dad still lives in West End, and, uh, he has, like, a little one-bedroom, or two-bedroom, like, tiny apartment in West End. He pays, like, 1700 bucks a month for that little, like, in, in Glen Allen. And then... Yeah, I, I've got, I think I still remember where your dad lives at, actually. Um, um, and, like, the house that we built in Georgia, we, we, my mortgage is, like, 1200 bucks, and I'm, I live on a golf course. Yeah. That's, that's how my mother-in-law's is. My mother-in-law's actually having a house built down here. Um, she's actually supposed to be coming down today, which I feel kind of bad because I don't know if you can hear that in the background. I was going to say, it sounds like you're in like the like Amazon rainforest right now. It's raining. <laughs> it's like a torrential downpour right here, down here right now. And it just I've been sitting in my garage this whole time. <laughs> and it just started, and now it's starting to light up. That's, that's cool. the one thing that's probably what... I typically the longest to get used to is the fact that the rain will come through torrentially downpour and just keep moving. <laughs> it's a lot, uh, because there's a lot faster. It's well, it's what it is is it, that it's so flat down here that there's no mountains to hold it in. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Where up north, you know, like we lived in Pennsylvania for a couple of years when I got home from my last deployment, mm-hmm. and 
when it would rain up there, it would just stay raining, and the clouds would just stay there until they dissipated. Yeah, I, uh, I can't wait to move somewhere where I can have land. That's all I want. I want well, we're looking at... I want chickens. <laughs> did, did I tell you Jen got rid of my chickens? Really? I was out at Fort Bragg, and I came home, and my chickens were gone. And I'm like, babe, where are my chickens? She's like, I got rid of them. I was like, why? six? I didn't want them anymore. They, was like, they weren't yours. Oh, my God. That's terrible. <laughs> wow. Um, it's actually relatively cheap. It only costs about 100 bucks total without buying a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. um, it's about 100 bucks to get them. It's $50-something to get them and everything else. About 100 bucks until they get full-grown, just on food. And then you have chickens. Um we were just looking at a house actually out here. It was ninety-two thousand dollars. It was a little bit bigger than this house. I think it was like nineteen hundred square feet, four mm -hmm. bedroom, two bath, on seven acres, oh, and it wow. was ninety-two thousand dollars. Wow, that's just the land's just worth it. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's what we're looking at. We're looking to buy a house probably next year. We're going to sign one more lease. Um, I figure out what's going on because I don't know what'll be what I don't know what I'll be doing next year. I don't know if I'm gonna stay doing this or if I'm gonna be put on active duty to take that full time position at battalion. Can you um get like a uh, a GS job on base? Or no? I can, I can, yes. Okay. Um so the, the the position that I would be taking with the battalion would actually be a GS level position it. It's somewhere between GS nine, uh, 7 and GS9. Okay. Um, and then I would go from there. They want me to put in a active guard reserve packet, an AGR packet, to be full-time. That'd be a good gig. So do you guys have, like, um, we have something called FTSs, full-time service. Yeah. So you're not, um, I mean, do you know what that is before I explain it? So no, no. Okay. No. So um, Corman is, like, the biggest right that has it. So what it is, is you're, you're sent, you get all the active duty benefits, like you get paid like you're on active duty, like you, you get all the active duty stuff, but like you only go to, like the biggest thing for Corman FTS is you work at NOSCs, so like you take care of the reservists, so like you're not active duty, like you're not, like you can't really go like on a ship and stuff as an FTS, but you get all the active duty benefits and everything. But your sole purpose is to just take care of like the reservists, or a lot of like instructor billets could be FTSs. Like when I'm, when I went to core school, one of my instructors was like an FTS person. So uh, yes, we have that, and no, we don't. We have what's called um, technicians or AGR. Okay. They're both full time. So a, a, a technician gets paid on the GS scale, whereas a AGR does not. Okay. Uh, AGR gets paid on their base scale, and then we have units like the instructor units who have full-time guys who are AGR, and then even on the active side, we have non-deployable guys who are just instructors, drill sergeants, um, of that nature, and then there's also like the 1-4 infantry, the guys that I was with in Germany, they're non-deployable as well. They're all infantrymen. They're just non-deployable unit. All they do is training. They like conduct training, or yeah. they just they conduct training. So like, the you remember I was telling you the 170 guys, the 173rd guys went from Italy to Germany to train with the 14 infantry. Mm -hmm. That's all they do is play war games. 
so uh, they, they help other have, divisions prepare for to get deployed. Yes, and then we also okay. have like attached to us, we have a big army, which they have the big A patch. Mm-hmm. Um, they they come down and they will actually evaluate us on how we conduct our drills. So when we do our squad level live fires and things of that nature, they walk with us and they will actually give us a report card. I actually think I have one around here somewhere from one of my squad leaders, um, where they will actually conduct us on different. Uh, sorry, uh, grade us on different things. Hmm. Like let me see here, what's this one say? Oh, that's an operations order. That's a map. Thought I had one out here. I guess I don't. Yeah, this is all a snop order. What's this last page? Yeah, okay, I don't have it, but they'll actually like grade us, and they're they are full time staff that you know I don't know if they're active or reserve. Um, and that's another thing is National Guard and Reserve are different. Reserve does not have combat arms. National Guard does. I was I was gonna ask you that. So is is there an actual like Army Reserve also? Yes. Okay. And they they go they run off the same billets we do. They they do their one week in a month, two weeks a year, but they don't have infantry. They're just more of like a support. Yes. Like so you have real you have you have two jobs in the army. You have infantry, and then you have support. Okay. The non-infantry guys are literally there for just support purposes, whether it be uh, forty-two alphas, which are uh, paper pushers, um, medics. Cooks, engineers, they're all their whole role is technically to support the infantry. Gotcha. So the the biggest part of the army is the infantry. It's actually the smallest, but it's oh, the most wow. like, yeah, it's the most, uh, it's the primary job. And then so like the um, the <clears throat> the rangers and stuff like that. That's just more advanced trained. Because yes. the Rangers aren't technically special forces, Green Berets are the special forces, right? Well, they're they're an elite force. Like they're technically better than regular infantrymen, or so they say, anyhow. Right. Um, and then we have the special forces, and then of course we have uh, Delta. Right. That's like cream of the crop. Tier one, um, right? Is the word. Oh uh, yeah. Man. Yes. So I have a lot of, uh, um, like I'm a big like Tim Kennedy fan. I know he's a Green Beret. Uh, you know who that is? Yeah, I know who Tim okay. Kennedy was. I thought he was a ranger. Or maybe I'm confusing him with the guy that was in the UFC, whose last name was Kennedy. Yeah, that, well, yeah, it's, that's Tim Kennedy. He was a ranger, but then he, he, he went like Green Beret. He was a ranger sniper, but then he went and now he's a Green Beret. Um, he actually just re-enlisted after Trump got elected, which is pretty funny. He, actually, he, he was actually on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast a couple of days ago. He's been on it a few times, but he did, he did one like this. He has like a weird thing set out with the army now, where he's um, uh, because like like he's active duty, but like he's always out. He like where he's like a brand ambassador for like Five Eleven. He does. He just finished filming his own TV show like on Discovery Channel, but like he's active duty. But like the army like lets him go out and like do all this stuff to kind of draw people to like the special forces, like to like, yeah. because I guess like they're really hurting on like applicants right now. So they use him as like a special forces like brand ambassador, which is pretty funny. <laughs> well, we so the unit that I'm in right now, we actually have a uh, unit that is I don't know if it's a part of us or not, but I know I have the option to go, um, and it is actually a special forces unit. Like um, like Rangers. It's SF. Or... It's Green Berets. Oh, okay. okay. 
and I do have an option to go and train with them, and if I get selected by them, then they'll train me up and send me to the selection process and That's cool. Don't everything you, else. Don't you have to speak a second language to be a Greek Bray or something like that? Well, I speak two languages. I speak English and I speak infantry. <laughs> I qualify you. I qualify. I'm good. <laughs> uh, which the only difference between English and infantry is the uh, excessive amount of the use and the different variations of the word fuck. <laughs> It's a very diverse word, and people don't realize it. That's funny. It's so funny how like uh, like infantry guys have like this um, like uh, I don't even know like the word to use, but like like you're looked down upon if like you're not infantry, like especially like again like I keep referring to the Marines because that's like you know obviously what the corpsmen are mostly with, but like if you're not like an infantry corpsman, like they call them po like do you guys use the word the term pogue? Yes, we do. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> if you're, like, a like a corpsman with, like, the, the mag, like, the Marine Air Wing, or with, like, their MLG, which is the, um, the logistics group, like, you're, like, like they, like, don't consider you, like, a real green side corpsman and stuff. It's pretty funny how there's, like, I guess I guess the Army has, like, the same kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's called, what we call it is Airs. And I'm trying to find it right now. I had it saved on my phone. I called the infantry guns Arrogance. And essentially a breakdown of people in the service and how few infantrymen there actually are. And is that it? What is that one? No, that's not it. I'm trying to find it. Kind of wish I had this readily uh, readily up already. <laughs> but it's um, it is. You know what? It's you know what? I know where it is. I'll find it on Facebook real quick. Because I don't post things often. But it is. It's, it's an arrogance that we hold, and part of the reason why we hold it is because we know that we are some of the best at what we do. Oh, for sure. Um, there's also an entire – somebody actually broke down and crunched the numbers of you know how few infantrymen there really are and in comparison to the other services. Right. Well, I, mean, I mean, they say, like uh, – I know, like, the statistic that floats around is, like, only 10% of um, – the entire military sees combat, and I mean, obviously, that ten percent is majority is like infantry. <laughs> yeah, hmm. I mean, I've got so many different things on here that are just like infantry. Why infantry is infantry? Infantry, infantry, infantry. Like I passed like four things already, trying to look for this one thing, <laughs> and I'm not finding it. Oh wait, is that it? Here it is. No, this isn't it, but it's it's close enough. Infantrymen have a pride and arrogance that most Americans don't understand and don't like. Even soldiers who aren't infantrymen don't understand it. Right. Pride doesn't exist because we have a job that's physically impressive, and it certainly does not exist because it takes a higher level of intelligence to perform our duties. It's sad, and I hate to admit it, but any college student or high school grad can physically do what we do, and not that demanding and it doesn't take any physical anomaly. Any Anybody will ever be able to compare us to professional athletes, or nobody, sorry, nobody will ever be able to compare us to professional athletes or fitness models, and it doesn't take a very high cue to read off serial numbers, pack bags according to a packing list, or no incoming bullets have the right of way. The pride of the infantryman comes not from knowing that he's doing a job that others can't, but that he's doing a job that others simply won't. Many infantrymen have seen a lot of combat. While that may sound ideal to a civilian or non-infantry soldier, it pains the grunt. We sign up to spit in the face of danger, 
to walk the line between life and death and live to do it again, or not. To come to terms with our own mortality and let others try to take our life instead of yours. We have raised our hands and said, take me, America. I'm willing to kill for you. I'm willing to sacrifice my life and limbs. I will come back to America scarred and disfigured for you. I will be the first to die for you. I'm, it goes on. There's another paragraph to it. I'm not going to read it all. But that right there kind of just tells you why there's an arrogance that we have. And we hold. I like that. That was, uh, that, was, that was good. Is that just like something yeah. some that like someone wrote? Or is that like an actual like... Somebody wrote it, um, and I saw it, and I liked it, so I shared it on Facebook. And I, that's, I, I do that a lot, where I'll see something about the infantry, um, and I'll like it, and I'll post it. Um, and people, it kind of helps people a little bit, I guess, understand like why why that guy we graduated high school with who used to be normal is so screwed up now. <laughs> yeah. You know. Especially people like our age, or a little bit. I mean, because you know, or a little bit younger than us, pretty much. Like, I mean, because that 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 was all. If you join right out of high school, like you're most likely involved in some kind of push in Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, I think part of it also has to do with a lot of people don't understand. Like, guys who enlist out of high school, they enlist and then they're not seen from for years, and then they pop up automatically. People are like, oh, were you in jail? Like, no, <laughs> no, I wasn't in jail. Yeah. Like, why would you automatically assume I was in jail? Um, I actually had one person who I ran into at. Um, the draft house one time when I was home and they're like oh I thought you were dead Ooh, my, my old stomping ground yeah I mean you know I've, I've run into people there where they're like oh we, are like, we thought you were dead you know where have you been and I was like I've you know been all over the world and all kinds of different things just being me oh well you know what job do you have to take you all over the world oh, I was in the army oh that's cool I had a cousin that was in the army his name's Bob do you know him <laughs> yeah yeah I know Bob <laughs> <laughs> and then the first question is always, have you ever killed anybody? Yeah. Always. Always the first question. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, I'll give them like, weird answers. Like I throw people for loops all the time. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things to say when somebody asks what I did in the Army, um, I have a tendency to say I was a foreign population reduction specialist. <laughs> I've never heard that. And everybody's always like, oh, okay, cool. And just like, like they don't listen. I also tend to say it fast, so that they don't understand what I'm saying, and they just get confused. Right. It just sounds like super official, but if you break it down, it's like, oh wait. <laughs> yeah. It actually used to say that on my Facebook page under like, you know, works at U.S. Army Infantry for as a foreign population reduction specialist. <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. Well, um, we've been going for two hours. It felt like. Did not feel that long. Two hours and eight minutes no. to be exact. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. That is a uh, a long while. I guess you've got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to edit. Yeah, I'll say. Let me. Uh, I'll definitely. Um, normally, I record like a little intro and stuff I put before, and then I'll probably have it up by tonight. Um, but uh, as always, as I say to everyone on here, I appreciate your service and everything that you did over there. Um, and uh, I know, obviously, it does not go unthanked. Um, and uh, I appreciate you taking your time out on uh, on your weekend to, get to talk to me and kind of uh, express everything that you went through over there. Um, and uh, that's my biggest thing with this podcast is I just kind of want to get those those stories out there, you know. I mean, obviously everyone knows Mike Murphy and Marcus Luttrell and Dakota Meyer, but, you know, there's 
a lot more stories out there that I feel that need to be heard. Um, so that's my whole purpose with this podcast. All right. Well, as always, thanks for having me. And uh, well, thank you for your service as well. My pleasure. All right, man. You have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon. All right. You too, man.